The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! <laughs> You think he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone. Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Well, I must have been That's it. That's all we got. Okay. Wow. Hey, how are you? How's everything going? I'm Tom Duggan. This is our little paying attention podcast that we do every week. Here at the Studio 21 Cafe uh, on the second floor of Two Guys Smoke Shop. I want to thank um, Dave Garofalo for uh, partnering with us to help us get this little podcast thingy going every Thursday at 2 o'clock. We're at two hours today, and uh, we've got a, uh, a little surprise for you after the news, so I'll announce that uh, uh, when Fred and Meredith finish. Get a lot of things to talk about. There's a military parade that the president wants to uh, have, and uh, those who hate America are uh, certainly uh, spending an awful lot of time trying to find an excuse against it. Um, I'm not even going to do a preview. I want to thank all our sponsors and our advertisers. I'll do that a little bit more later. Which way am I looking? Oh, okay. Um, but Fred and Meredith are here with news. Hey, and, hey Tom. Uh, Good to see you. Wow, look at you. <laughs> we were making bets before she got here whether she was going to be wearing red or black. And I'm going to have real, to wear red every time now. I was now, really happy she was wearing Yeah, I was really happy she was wearing red. All right. Um, Ira, I don't think, is coming. Keanu, I think, is going to be here later. So, um, also, our guest today. We've got a great guest before we start news. Superintendent Receiver of the Lawrence Public Schools, Jeff Riley, is going to be joining us. Jeff uh, resigned as the Superintendent Receiver um, about a month and a half, two months ago, if my timing is correct. And um, shortly after that, he has been tapped by Governor Charlie Baker to be the head of the Department of Education for the state. So he couldn't work with Dan Rivera, uh, and he left. And Charlie Baker tapped him to run the entire Department of Education. <laughs> How about that? So he's still going to be making decisions about Lawrence. Right. right. Just Dan Rivera can't override him anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got for news, guys? All right, let's get to it. Well, we're starting off today with some sad news. The Valley oh. Patriot is reporting that local veteran Robert T. McCann has passed away at the age of 87. Bob was born and raised in Lawrence. After graduating from Lawrence High School in 1952, he found his calling for public service. Throughout his life, he found great joy in serving his family, his community, and his country. As a young man, Bob honorably served his country in the U.S. Marine Corps. He later returned to Lawrence and served as president of South Lawrence Little League, coaching and mentoring hundreds of kids all over the region. He was involved with several veterans organizations, including serving as the commandant of the Merrimack Valley and Massachusetts Marine Corps League. In addition, Bob spent more than 20 years fighting for veterans and their families as director of veterans services in Lawrence. Perhaps his proudest accomplishment was seeing the construction of three veterans memorials on Lawrence Common and the Veterans Memorial at St. Mary's Cemetery in Lawrence. Bob and his service to our nation and the community are featured prominently in your book, Heroes in Our Midst. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to say about you him? You know, I knew Bob McCann very, very well. I knew him even as a kid. And he was the guy, everybody knew him, but they didn't really know him because he was everywhere. He was at the Little League games. He was at city hall meetings. He was also a veteran services coordinator for the city of Lawrence. So we ran into him an awful lot. Um, I remember when he called me and said that he wanted to put up a monument to the Korean War veterans in Lawrence because we didn't have one. And uh, he was really stressed out about the monumental task of trying to get the funding and trying to get it done. Uh, I was there when he and Charlie Body unveiled that probably in 2000, maybe six or eight, if I'm remembering right. Um, he was just so proud that, f and he said to me that day, you know, long after I'm dead, 
these things are going to be here to honor the veterans who served in these wars. And he said, this is like one of my proudest accomplishments of everything I've ever done. And, uh, and he was a really good guy. And I know whenever, when, so whenever someone dies, right, it's the, you get the same narrative right, on the news. Right. Everyone loved him. Right. He brought a smile to everyone's face. He lit up every room he walked into. But Bob, Bob was a good guy because he always was out there doing things for the community, not himself. Yeah. And um, and never looked for like I remember when I called him and said I want to do a story uh, heroes in our midst I want to honor you and he said you know I worked in a warehouse in the U S like I didn't even really get you know sent abroad I didn't do anything heroic and I said yeah but you know look at all the things that you've done since you got out of the military right. for other veterans that's the, the the whole reason we do heroes in our midst on the front page of the Valley Patriot every month is to honor veterans that not only went over went went off and fought for their country or joined the military to fight for their country but then when they got out they they continued to serve they right. continued to do things for other veterans and he really didn't believe he deserved that award. And he called me afterwards and thanked me and repeated that he didn't think he deserved the award mm. because we, we were honoring other, like, World War II guys that stormed Normandy. Sure, yeah. And he's comparing himself to that. I compare him to the snot-nosed kids out there that are holding signs about global warming. That's <laughs> right. who I compare him to. Right. Not the guys that stormed Normandy. He was a hero, and uh, I was glad to have him in my book. I was glad to, to give him a copy of the book. Uh, actually, I think he bought the book. I found out afterwards. I was like, I would have given it to you because um, the book is free for veterans, especially yeah. veterans that are in it. Yeah. Um, and just chat with him a little bit. And um, he gave me, I wish I'd brought it. It's in my car. He gave me a picture of him in a silver frame the day that he enlisted. I never give it back to him. Mm. And I kept calling his son-in-law, Mark DeFruscia, over the last couple of years because we talk about other business stuff and say, listen, I got to get this picture back to Bob. Yeah. And, uh, and I know he, he, when he gave it to me, he said, this is like really important. I really need this back. And I never got it back to him. So we're going to bring it to his wake. Yeah. We're, we're going to oh. put it up at his wake. Wow. And uh, so at least his family can have it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Nice. Yeah, we're awesome. going to miss Bob. Bob was, uh, he lived in Methuen the last, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years of his life. But that guy was dedicated to the city of Lawrence like yeah. nobody else I've ever met. And uh, he deserves all the kudos he can get. So. Well, Tom, it's tough to follow a story like that, right? But, uh, we're going to turn down at Washington, D.C. Yep. Now, you know Nancy Pelosi. You know who she is. Yeah, I've heard of her. She's a little nuts. Well, so she, you know that she's someone who's not usually at a loss for words, right? right? Yep. Well, she especially wasn't at a loss for words yesterday because she took to the floor of the House of Representatives and she spoke for eight hours straight. Wow. <laughs> so her filibuster came as she argued for more protections for legal immigrants here in the United States. Because that's important. Well, yeah. Screw you know. the veterans. <laughs> screw the cops and the firefighters. Education, that's not important. But citizens of other countries, that's number one. So what do you talk about for eight hours, right? right? Yeah. Now, so she covered a range of arguments in support of uh, protections for illegal immigrants, and she frequently invoked her Catholic faith while she was on the floor. In fact... Catholic faith? She was even heard to was Paul, we need Paul up here she for She invoked one. the names of Pope Francis, former Pope Benedict, and St. Augustine in support of her positions and her pleas. So all this comes as Congress <laughs> continues to consider ways to address immigration and come up with a workable solution on a number of different issues. And, of course, there are midterm elections that are looming this fall. This is a woman who's for, this is a woman who's for abortion on demand up to third grade. <laughs> and she's talking about religion and God and the Pope? Are you kidding and me? And who has been highly <laughs> criticized by some Catholics. I would imagine. Imagine exactly so, because of that. I, and rightfully so. <laughs> this is—I mean, look, look—we all know, all right. Let's, let's just not pretend for our for our audience. Nancy Pelosi doesn't believe in anything. Nancy Pelosi believes in power for the Democrat Party, so she can maintain power and make more millions of dollars being in the House. That's all she cares about. And I was talking to some friends the other day. If if Latinos in America 
started voting in large numbers for Republicans, she'd be out there building the fucking wall by herself. <laughs> she'd be out there with the cement. She'd be putting the, bl- the bricks up. She'd be, she'd have a, uh, seriously, her and Elizabeth Warren would be out there making sure that wall was as high as humanly possible. You're right. Because so. they don't, they don't, they don't, they're serious. They don't care about illegal aliens. They don't care about Latinos. They don't care about blacks. Look, they, 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 they claim, they, the Democrats claim they care about blacks, right? But who gets hurt the most by illegal aliens, right? I mean, black Americans are at the bottom of the, of the scale when it comes to jobs, when it comes to education, when it comes to the economy. And all these illegal aliens come in and go, yeah, I'll work for half of what black people will work for. And yet they say with a straight face that they care about black Americans. And then they say again with a straight face they care about Latinos. I don't get it. She doesn't believe in anything, that lady. Well, what do you think it's going to mean for this fall? I mean, we have midterm elections coming up. A lot of people are talking about immigration. We still don't have a solution for that. And yeah. Congress seems like it's a mess. Do you yeah. think Republicans hold the House? Um, I don't know, but I can say this. If they don't hold the House, if they don't hold the Senate, Donald Trump will be impeached. So anybody, happen. anybody who's voting for a Democrat in the mid-year election is voting for impeachment of Donald Trump. Period. And... They're not even hiding it. Maxine Waters calls for him to be impeached, called for him to be impeached before he even took office. Mm-hmm. So this is just really about hatred. It's about hating Donald Trump because he doesn't have the political belief that the, that the propagandists on the left have foisted on us for the last 10 years. And he, just by his existence, blows that out of the water. So... Anyways, all right. So we're going to be talking a lot about education today. Oh, we know. So with that in mind, we're turning our attention to the city of Haverhill, where the search for a new superintendent of schools has produced a list of three finalists. An 18-member search advisory board screened 25 applicants and interviewed eight candidates. Of that group, the board picked Jared Fulgoni, Haverhill's assistant superintendent, Margaret Marotta Smith, assistant superintendent for Salem Public Schools, and Dr. Anthony Pope, instructional superintendent in Boston, as its finalists to succeed James Scully. The selection of Dr. Pope has generated some criticism as it's been reported that he stepped down from a position as Marlboro superintendent in 2012. At the time, it was reportedly claimed that Pope shoved a guidance counselor during a student protest, causing teachers to hold a vote of no confidence. It was also reported that students protested Pope's firing of a Marlboro High School assistant principal, Adam Baker, who was reinstated after Pope left in 2012. The Haverhill School Committee will visit candidates' current school districts during the last week of February and will host candidates for public interviews in Haverhill in March. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I know Jim Scully very, very well. I served with him on the Lawrence School Committee. I'm sad to see him go in Haverhill. Um, There's a guy that really loves kids. Yeah. Um, if you had students protesting one of these applicants, that's the guy I'd be hiring. If I was sitting on the Haverhill School Committee <laughs> and, I, and they said, well, you have, you have students that are protesting this guy, I'd be like, well, that's the guy I want right. because these students don't know shit. They just don't. I mean, they're a bunch of, they're, they, they've, been, they've been brainwashed to be a bunch of little left-wing fascists, um, which we're going to talk about in the next, uh, in the next segment. Um, let me just make a note. Um, you know, the, people think that fascism is, is right-wing. We're going to talk in a little bit about how that's not the case. Yep. But they've become a bunch of little left-wing fascists. Anybody who doesn't agree with their politics is a bad person. Mm-hmm. Not that, just that they disagree. They're a bad person. Right. And they go out and they, and they cause mayhem for anybody who doesn't hold their political views. And the fact that this guy got protested, whoever he is, that's a guy I'd want. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. We'll have to see what happens. So we're going to turn out. I'm, I'm sure Ferentini will pick the most left-wing, lunatic, pro-illegal alien, <laughs> pro-gay marriage, pro-abortion on demand up to fifth grade candidate he can find. 
But we do have some conservatives on that school committee, like Scott Wood and Sh is Sean Tui still on? Uh, no, but more Ryan. More Ryan is. She's, is. Conservative. She's very conservative. Yep. So you got at least two. Maybe they can cause enough trouble to maybe get somebody who's middle of the road. Yep. I always say whenever um, school committee members call me and say we're looking at a new superintendent, you went through that when you were in the law school system. You know, what is what is your advice? I, the only one advice that I give to people is find someone that's not political. Right. You know, left wing or right wing. Right. You want someone that's going to care about education and is not going to be interested in the pretty language of politics in the classroom. I don't want kids learning about global warming. I don't want them to learn about bullying. I don't want them learning about gay marriage. Teach them math, science, history, and social studies, which should be history. And when you can do that right, which they're not doing, right? right? If you can do that right, then we can have a conversation about global warming and this other political stuff. But um, we, we're graduating kids that can't speak, read, and write English. Right. So do your job first. Right. Then we'll talk about the politics. Yep. So. Well, when there is a pick, we'll have it to report here and paying attention. I, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe you can get the new guy on. That'd be great. We yeah. should try. We'll have him come on. We we'll ask try. him about politics. He'll be all flustered. So maybe later this spring. <laughs> like Jeff Riley. <laughs> so, Tom, we're going to turn now to Beacon Hill, where there's a power struggle in the Mass Senate. Really? There is. Wow. So Democrats in the Senate decided to keep Senator Harriet Chandler as their leader uh, through the end of this year, instead of allowing embattled state Senator Stan Rosenberg to reassume that post. Now, Rosenberg, as you may recall, stepped aside as Senate president in December amid allegations of sexual assault and improper influence against his husband, Byron Hefner. Against what? Against his husband, Byron Hefner. All right. So under the latest move, Chandler will stay on as the leader of the Senate through the next state election, which is this fall. So when there is a new Senate that's picked and sworn in in January 2019, she will step aside and allow a new Senate president to be chosen. Chandler also will not be referred to as the acting Senate president anymore. They're going to drop that from her name and she uh, that's going to reinforce her authority over the Senate. Yeah, Democrats really care about titles. They, do. <clears throat> yes, they, you know, do. they don't really care about they doing do. anything, but they love they, they they obsess on titles and what you call things. That's right. 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 So. Now, Tom, it's unclear what this is going to mean for Rosenberg long term. He should be in jail is what well, he should be. The Boston Herald has quoted State Senate uh, Senator Barbara Latalian, an Andover Democrat who's now running for Congress, as saying, quote, I think most agree that it would be difficult, if not impossible, for him to return to the Senate presidency. But I can't say that that's a unanimous feeling, end quote. State Senator Eileen Donahue has said that she would be interested in becoming the next Senate president should there be a vacancy in that office God, after Chandler leaves. God help us and all. several other members have also expressed their interest. I think they should just get Kim Jong-un <laughs> and have him, come, have him come to the Senate and have him preside over the Senate because there's really not a whole lot difference. I mean, Kim Jong-un hates America. The Democrats in the Senate hate America, right? Kim Jong-un wants to take away people's right of free speech. The Democrats in the Senate want to take away people's right of free speech. It's really not a whole lot different. <laughs> the only difference is the, Demo the, Dem the Democrats in the Senate aren't killing people right. yet. Um, but they offer abortion on demand up to third grade. So, I mean, there's that. Well, this is kind of the latest in a series of problems, if you will, that have um, uh, besieged the leaders of both houses in the Massachusetts mm -hmm. legislature over the years. Um, what do you think it's going to mean for the Democrats as they try to hold on to their solid grip on power? In Massachusetts? Yeah. They'll never lose their solid grip on power in Massachusetts. Do you it's think it'll affect it at all? No. it's too no. Massachusetts is so corrupt that... 
every single speaker we've had has gone to jail, and now we've got a, hopefully, a Senate president going to jail, and I'm sure the next Senate president will go to jail too. Part of the reason for that is in order to get to that position, you have to be corrupt. You have to take payoffs, you have to give contracts to contributors, mm -hmm. or you don't get there. And so every time I see someone get elevated to the position of speaker or assistant speaker or, or president, Senate president, um, I put them on my blacklist, and I start mm -hmm. you know, digging, and anytime something falls on my desk, I, I make yep. sure that I dig, I dig into that, because Beacon Hill is a cesspool. And, you know, they, they come out and they say, um, we support Black Lives Matter right. because cops are evil and they're a bunch of racists. And then they turn around and they pass a bill that gives cops more power to pull people over, especially black people, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like the hands-free driving bill. If they were really concerned about cops having too much discretion to pull over black people for being black, they wouldn't be, vo they wouldn't be voting unanimously, by the way. Right. To have a bill, to have a law where cops can now pull you over because they saw you look at your phone. Right. Right. If you get a tail light out, you can prove you didn't have a tail light right. out. Right. Right. If you were speeding, you might be able to prove or right. at least. But if they say you were touching your phone while you were driving, well, you've got no recourse at all if you're a black guy who's being targeted by those evil white cops in Massachusetts that are just looking to gun down black men for fun, right? So, I don't know. They, they don't believe in anything, really. I, the Republicans aren't much different. They're not much better. They are better, but not much better anyway. Speaking of being in hell, I just started Lenny Mira's new book is it, it is fantastic he hasn't introduced you yet yes. as far as i've gotten into That's it coming, but though. it is great and it's really great when he got to when he got to my character in the book who he called tom duggan <laughs> um I never laughed so damn hard <laughs> in my life. The way he the way he described the CAP studio. Yep. Um, the first scene that I'm in, I'm in the radio station yep. when I used to do my show on CAP, and he described the CAP studio like rats running around <laughs> and uh. boxes, and, <laughs> and, and she's walking through the lobby thinking like maybe she's gonna get raped, and all of that is true. All of that is true. So I just I laughed my ass off through both I'm of those loving chapters. It. I yeah. am, I Everyone am should download his book. It is fantastic. It's called go. Boston Sort of Legal. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Lenny Mirror and Tim. I can't wait for the next. Yeah. I'll post a link on my Facebook Perfect. page, too. Well, Tom, we do have some good news out of Beacon Hill, or at least some happier news, right? Treasurer Deb Goldberg is I love her. A, She's a Democrat, but I she love is, her. She is. <laughs> She's hosting a special guest at her state house office this week. Nick, can you is guess who that is? It's not Tom. Could be. It's not, it's not me? Tom. No, All it's right. not Lenny Mara that we know of. No. The guest is Lucky. Now, Lucky is actually a lottery terminal. And it's the terminal that produced the record-setting $758 million winning Powerball ticket last August. Now, visitors will have the opportunity to actually meet Lucky and have their photo taken with it. Budding celebrity. And they'll have a selfie station there complete with props. Now, where is, where is this going to be? I might go to that. I was going to say, it's a great office. excuse for you to, to go in there. Right. So Lucky was actually previously employed at Pride Market, which is in Chicopee, where Mavis Wanchik purchased her ticket for the August 23rd, 2017 Powerball drawing that yielded her the largest jackpot prize ever won, ever, ever. on a single ticket in U.S. lottery do we history. Do we have her phone number? No. Because we could use I some sponsors. going to be there. She's probably long no, gone. No, you can't have your picture taken with her, but you can have your picture taken with the machine that started it all. Gotcha. So there you go. And finally, we have news that Dunkin' Donuts has announced plans that is ending its practice of giving people double coffee cups. Aww. And it will do away with its foam coffee cups by 2020. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we got to save the planet, right? Because <laughs> getting rid of coffee cups is going to do it. One cup at a time. The whole planet's going to be fine if we just get rid of the coffee cups. <laughs> yep. Change our light bulbs, get rid of coffee cups. We're good. No more global warming, you right? You never know. Yeah, I don't know. All know. these fads, all these stupid fads yeah. that everybody follows, and they all think they're the being plastic cool. Plastic bags. Yeah. Mm -hmm. didn't, didn't Cambridge... Um, 
ban plastic they're bags? They're all doing oh, it. All he all was looking at it right yeah. now. Yeah. And I hear that they're also trying to ban um, plastic water bottles, too. Oh, yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah, that's yep. that's phenomenal. And so, yeah. like, what are we supposed to do? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I love these environmentalists. They go out and they hold signs for global warming and they don't do anything else. Like yeah, they, right. Right. they cry about plastic bottles and all that other stuff, but like, you know, what are they really doing for the planet? Not like really nothing. Right. Right. Yep. Um, I did some research when I was in college about, um, interesting because I'm in the newspaper business now, about newspaper recycling. Mm-hmm. In order to recycle newspapers, they have to take the papers and they have to and they have to soak them in chemicals to pull the ink off the paper so they can turn the paper into pulp and they can and they can re- reprocess it. That those chemicals, there's a, a a river in Texas that runs down into Mexico, where all of these recycling plants are along this river and they dump all of their chemicals into the river because nice. they're right on the border that goes down uh-huh. into Mexico. So everybody who's out there with their newspapers thinking they're saving the planet by recycling the newspaper, yeah, you're destroying the planet because the chemicals it takes to take the ink off that paper to have them process it is toxic. It's destroying. The, so like we we have these fads, we just do them because people tell us that they're good, right? And we want to feel good, like we're doing something while we're actually not doing anything, right? right? And it's just, it's all a scam. It's all a scam. All of it. It is. My grandfather used to say, the older I get and the more I know, the more I realize I didn't know anything. There you go. (laughs) Because he said, once you get to be like 70, you realize almost everything you thought you knew was a total fraud. And it turns out I just turned 50. He's right. Oh, there you go. He's right. Everything we think we know. I mean, (laughs) come on. So that's all you guys had for news? That's all we have. We've got to find a way to keep Meredith up here longer. <laughs> right? And you are in the same color as, uh, as the young lady that came with Jeff Riley, too. She'll be yeah. hopefully up here, too. <laughs> we told Jeff Riley he had to come with beautiful Spanish women from the Lawrence School system. <laughs> and he, ne- he, he never disappoints. Never. So we're going to have him up here in a couple of minutes. So, uh, so that's all you guys have? Now that's tell, all we got. That's tell, us, tell us what you guys do and why you're here. All right. This is always my job. I, don't, I just know. like hearing you say it. Well, we are, we are partners at Lyric Consulting, which is a communications and marketing firm located in the Merrimack Valley. And we also operate our own real estate brokerage known as Lyric Properties. I'm an attorney by trade. But most importantly, beyond all else, we are Tom Duggan's agent. <laughs> that's so if you are looking for Tom Duggan to do any sort of public speech, Speaking, writing, book sightings, just an appearance. You just want to talk to him, anything like that. Don't call me. Don't call Tom. We know where to find him 24-7, anytime. We know where he's hiding out. We'll find him for you. And and I'm going to give you guys, um, I'm putting together some uh, ad crossover packages for people that want to sponsor the show and buy ads in the Valley Patriot for one price. You can do both. You can do... It, it carries you both ways. You right. get add the paper sponsorship of the podcast. Right, and you get the bonus. Shopping. And you get the bonus of we'll give you ads on the ValleyPatriot.com news stories. Oh, that's a good deal. So a breaking news story happens tomorrow. There's a shooting in Lawrence. We yep. put it up. Your ad will be on that story. Well, and you're always very good about sharing sponsors on your Facebook, which yep. has a ton of followers. Yep. So. Eleven thousand people follow us on Facebook. Wow, which is nice. phenomenal. That's a lot. That's great. That's right. It's amazing. I I come and I do this show. We do this little live podcast here, and we have like five people watch. Then I leave here. I get in. My my car and I go live on Facebook and 4,000 people watch me drive home. I don't get that. <laughs> like, how does that, how, did, how does that make, the same thing. How does that make any sense at all? Like, this is substance. We're actually doing stuff here. Five people care. If you're looking for the after show. It's well, everything you forgot to say during right, the show yeah, you yeah. do it on the way home. Yeah, they want right. to hear me drop the F-bomb, which I'm trying <laughs> to go. do less and less on this show. Well, that's good. We appreciate but that. But when I was told that we were a podcast and I could swear as much as I wanted to in the first couple of shows, I kind of let it out. That was bad advice. It was bad no, advice. Don't yeah. tell Tom that. Right. So, so we know where to find Tom. If you're looking for Tom, we'll find him Give the you. phone number, the uh, website address, 
address? What is, how do people get in touch with you? To- so you can get in touch with us either at lyricconsulting.com if you need marketing for your business or for your political campaign or lyricproperties.com. And best way to contact us is 978-494-4450 if you're looking for Tom. Yep. So uh, if you want uh, me to talk to your college class, if you want me to talk to your uh, police department or you want me to talk to whoever, um, I do public speaking and I, I, I visit all kinds of different businesses mm-hmm. to talk about networking mm-hmm. and advertising and uh, the newspaper business. First of all, I wrote the first. I wrote the uh, state's public records law. So right, if you, absolutely. If you have a journalism class, you want me to yep. talk about the state's public records law? I wrote it, so I'm I'm pretty versed in it. You're a great public speaker. I'm a, I'm a pretty good public. I don't do are. anything else well. Uh, I mean, everything yeah, else is yeah. a total disaster in my life. Good, you right? know, <laughs> public speaking in the podcast. Right. My personal that. life's a disaster. The everything else good. is a disaster. Like but the paper. I'm really good at the paper and public speaking. Absolutely, absolutely. And flirting with Meredith. Could just look at her. Come on. He's an expert at seriously. There you go. Unbelievable. If I wasn't in love with someone else, I would be stealing her away from you right now. Oh, I seriously would be. Sorry, I think I just blew Fred's cover. All right, guys, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for for coming in. Um, Uh, We we like to come in here every week, and we like to pretend that we're doing serious stuff and just goof around. It's it's what we do. Fred uh, Fred Van Magnus and Meredith Warren, thank you so much for coming in. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to expand your news production stuff now that we're two hours. We get a few more sponsors. Sounds good. Sounds good. So thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Stu Fink, our fine, fine producer. Let's bounce out to a break. We'll be uh, we'll be gone for about a minute to two minutes, maybe three. And then when we come back, we've got a big surprise for you. Paul Morano, my co-host, is rejoining us as the co-host of Paying Attention. I don't hear clapping. Don't we clap when we go to commercial studio audience? Come on now. <laughs> got to retrain these people. Back after this on Paying Attention, where Colonel Sam Poulton doesn't get it.
And once again on the United Podcast Network, you are paying attention. And here's your host, Tom Duggan. That's what they tell me. Hi, how you doing? We have this little podcast thing that we do here every week on Tuesdays from 2 to 4 at Studio 21 Podcast Cafe on the second floor of... Two Guys Smoke Shop. I want to thank Dave Garofalo for partnering up with us to try and get this going. We're always looking for sponsors. See the ads at the front on the desk? Uh, those are sponsors of the show. It's like for as low as $50, you could be sponsoring the show every week. Please get in touch with us. Um, you can email me at valleypatriot at AOL.com or you can find me on Facebook. Um, we have a great crossover package. So if you want to advertise in the Valley Patriot, for one price, you get print ads in the Valley Patriot, web ads on the Valley Patriot website, and uh, ads in, in the front here and mentions here on uh, the podcast as well as when I go live on Facebook. Um, g- guy sitting next to me who looks like Satan um, <laughs> was my co-host on WCAP for, what, at least 10 years maybe? I would say approximately 10, 11 years. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, and he drove me crazy and I hated him. <laughs> And so we started to do this show, and we decided yeah. and to take... And that's why you begged me to come on the show. I did. Yes. Um, I'm getting to that. All so right. when we started the show, on our first week, I, I, it was a great show. In fact, it was our highest rated show. Our first week was the highest rated show because we had four police chiefs from four communities talking about the opioid crisis. It really went well. And at the end of the show, like, I'm watching the video, and it's great and everything, and we had, did our second show, and I watched the video of that, and I kept thinking, there's something missing. Like, there's something, something, something that this show needs. And right around that day, somebody sent me an email complaining about one of our old podcasts on CAP oh, yeah? that they were listening to. They just randomly found it online. They were listening to it, and they wanted to complain about everything we said, especially you. They hated you. Oh. And they spent, like, a, a paragraph hating me and like six paragraphs <laughs> hating you. And I said, aha, that's what we need on paying attention. We need to get Paul back here. We need to, we need to get more haters on board. Uh, so, you see, know. See, haters get ratings. Yeah, they do. You know, they, yeah. they, they give ratings. Yeah. You know, so. so you're just going to do this here. I'm just going to make it a little All closer. Right. There you go. There you go. So, Paul Morano, tell people a little bit about yourself. You're going to be my co-host on the show every week, at least when you can get here. And then we do have a guest <laughs> here. We're not going to make, make him wait. But um, uh, tell people a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you're going to drive me crazy live. Ah, uh, gosh and a half. I don't know. Um, who am I? I was, uh, I was born in Massachusetts. I live in New Hampshire right now. I, uh, I teach at a couple of colleges, local colleges, uh, philosophy and theology. That's got I lost my mic. Your microphone doesn't seem to be on. Maybe I'm on the wrong mic. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm on the wrong mic. Let's see how that works. Sorry, that's there much you better. All right. So, yeah, I teach at a couple local colleges. I uh, do a uh, radio show, Beneath the Surface Radio Show. You're welcome. Uh, yes, uh, I've been doing it. Actually, uh, this I didn't week even realize she was wearing boots. Now, <laughs> now, now I can't even pay attention to anything you have I to say. I thought I was saying something important. Uh, you were. Uh, this week is my five-year anniversary in the paying attention, excuse me, in the Beneath the Surface Radio Show. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. And, uh, of course, I You'll invited you. You'll notice that I, 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 I invite Paul on my show, but I don't get invited on his I inc- show. I invited you a couple times. You are reneged. And uh, well, only so I, I couldn't get you on. Only because I, you won't let me call in, right? I'd love to be a yeah. guest as a call-in, but I don't want to go into the studio and have to see Colonel Sam Poulton because I'm still really, really angry at well, the guy. Let me, so let I don't, don't want to – we know what he does. He'll come right. in while I'm on the air, and he'll linger on the other side of the glass, and he'll make everybody uncomfortable. And then when we go to a break, he comes in and he starts a fight, and then we go back on the air and everybody's all pissed off, which well, makes for a great show, but it's not good for my staff. Not for nothing, but for the past four years, I have not seen him Right, because I'm not there. At all. all if right. I was there, he'd right. be lingering behind the glass on every show. Okay. 
All right. Here's a guy who. Here's a here's a guy. Here's a guy who. Not not to dump on Colonel Sam, right? Mm-hmm. But here's a guy who, when we were doing radio, literally suspended me from the show. Yeah. Because I said I wished Barack Obama would die in his sleep. That was enough to suspend me from the like no free speech whatsoever. I didn't say I wish somebody shot him. It wasn't like a call to violence or anything. But because he's a left wing puking left wing liberal and loves Barack Obama mm. and is constantly sucking up to Elizabeth Warren and the Democrats, he didn't want the Democrats to hear me say that on his show and call him and get all upset. So he suspended me, and that was really like the beginning of the end of me at CAP because I put up with a lot of shit there. But I, I'm you, not going to put up with I'm not going to put up with people censoring my show. I'm just not doing that. You got along with. Colonel Sam for the longest time. We did. So, and I think there's still... When he kept his word. When he kept his word, we got along. I had mm-hmm. one, we had one agreement at CAP, and I'm sure you remember it. Yes. No matter what happens, when I turn the microphone on, it's my show, and no one tells me what to say and what not to say, mm. even if I'm picking on you. Yes. And for the first five, six, seven years, he was fine with that. I could go on and I could make fun of his voice. And, I'm Colonel Sam Poulton. You shouldn't talk about <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's my friend. And he didn't care. Like he would laugh and he would find it funny. So I would do it more until one day he started getting phone calls from Elizabeth Warren supporters. And then all of a sudden he was micromanaging every flipping thing that I said on the show until he started suspending me for stuff. So now we're here and people don't have to like, you know, have to worry about getting raped when they come in. They don't have to worry about like rats running around the studio. It's pretty, pretty good digs. Well, just to, uh, just to go the opposite way, if anybody wants to listen to WCAP from 10 to 11 p.m. on Monday evenings, Beneath the Surface Radio. Yes. And when is Cindy on? Uh, one of our... Cindy is right after us. Yeah. So yes. at 11? Yes. 11 o'clock on Sunday nights. On Mondays. Mondays. Or Monday nights. I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. So it used to be Sundays. Yeah. Uh, the first year, it was Sundays. That's when I used to see Colonel Sam, because I, d- I went right after his show. Right. So we were scrambling to get him out of the way. You know, he's not way. a bad guy. He's just, he's just too much of a political whore to do any business with the guy. I mean, okay. politics is more important to him than money. I literally walked oh. in with $3,000 worth of checks for sponsors for the show, yeah. and then he yelled at me for an hour about something I said the week before, and I'm like, I just fucking handed you money. What are you mm-hmm. doing? What are you doing? But now we're here at Studio 21 Cafe, mm-hmm. Podcast Cafe, and no one can tell us what to say and what not to say. Dave Garofalo is great. We sat down to negotiate this show, thanks to John Bergeron, and he said, these are my requirements, and they were all good. And he said, do you have any requirements? I said, I have one requirement. The minute we go on, no one tells me what to say or not to say. Hmm. That's all I ask. If I, can, if I can be free to be me on the, sh- on the show, then that's the only thing that I require. And he agreed to that. Oh, the other thing was that we own, well, the, we own the material. So if we ever leave here five years from now, there's a great interview we want to use somewhere else we can use it. So those are the only two things that I ask for. I'm, I'm very low maintenance. So I guess if I ever want uh, a little passion out of you, all I have to do is say the word Sam Poulton. Nah, no, no. Oh, the two look, words. I, I'm, okay, I'm okay with all Sam. Right. I just, I... I, I well, anyway, I don't get it. Uh, other than that, uh, I do that radio show. I, I do your. I do a column for Valley Patriot once a month, and I'm a part-time musician too. I uh, I have a, uh, a one-man band gig that I do oldies from 60s to 80s. Uh, oldies now, classics. Now Penny came to see you one day, right? Penny came to see me yeah, one day. Was, she loved was, it. Yeah, that was real fun. <laughs> she was. I she thought was it was singing and dancing. I thought it was interesting that my ex-girlfriend went to yeah. my friend's gig. Yeah. And then live podcasted it. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. She, she was good. I got a redhead now, so I don't care. Do you? Yeah, I do. Tell me about her. No, we're not going to do that at all. No? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Is it, is it natural no. red or is it uh, bottle red? Um, I'm, I'm going to say it's <laughs> natural red. Natural red. Yes. Okay. 
All right. So, so uh, she is. See, a, anyone uh, else? Anybody else would have asked me how I know that, but he didn't ask me. No, how I'm not I even going to ask. <laughs> so you've been uh, seeing, quote unquote, her for a little while. Yes. Seeing. Okay. Yes. yes. I don't even know what the uh, what the definitions of, of of premarital relationships are anymore. Right. So right. I'll just say seeing. Okay. Very good. All right. Good. So. Good. All right. Well, so well, Paul is going to be my co-host now from now on. Oh, let's take a really really quick break. Do we have a quick break, or does it have to be three? And we're going to bring up superintendent receiver. And now, as of the end of the school year this year, he's going to be the head of the Department of Education. This is a guy that I ripped to shreds when he came to Lawrence, called him a left-wing lunatic. I thought he was really here to, like, change the politics of what goes on in the school system and make it like a a left-wing breeding ground. Boy, was I wrong about that. We'll be back after this. I'm paying attention. Turn to paying attention once again. Here's your host, Tom Dunn. That's what they tell me. You guys are supposed to clap when we come back from breaks. I don't know why I have to keep reminding people of that. Let's do it. All five of you. All right, very good, very good. Settle down. Um, th- welcome back to the Paying Attention a podcast. Tom Duggan and Paul Morano, my co-host. Um, we have a great guest today. And I think the reason why it's great is because he hasn't taken the job yet, so he can probably say stuff he's not going to be able to say once he takes it, once he's, once he's officially <laughs> in there. Um, Jeff Riley came on uh, five years ago. Six. Six years ago. Uh, he was appointed when the, when the Lawrence School Committee became so incompetent that they couldn't run their own schools anymore. Um, Charlie Baker came on board and, as the governor and said, we're going to appoint a receiver from the state to run the Lawrence schools. And what he did was he took away the power of the Lawrence School Committee to make any decisions at all. So even though we have a school committee in Lawrence, it is really more like um, an informational board. They, they don't take any votes, and if they do, it's not legally binding. They're not in charge of hiring and firing. They're not in charge of budgets. They can't approve spending. In fact, I've had school committee members call me and complain that they can't even get information. 
And that's because basically they're not the school committee anymore, right? I mean, why, why, why do they need to get information? They're an advisory board. Um, some stuff you should give them. Some stuff you probably shouldn't give them. When Jeff Riley came on board that first year, I was getting all kinds of phone calls from people who just hated you, just just viscerally hated you. And the first one I got was, he's not even, uh, in fact, I got an email yesterday, he's not even certified as a superintendent. <laughs> so, and this came from a school board member, so I figured the school board member must know what she's talking about. And I didn't bother to do the research. Um, like the Eagle Tribune never does. And I paid a very heavy price for it because I wrote this big story about Jeff and how he was a left-wing lunatic and he wasn't doing any, any of the stuff he's supposed to be doing. And on top of that, he's not even a superintendent. And I ran into him probably about six months later and he said, you know, not for anything, but I actually am certified. As, I don't know where you got that. And I said, why don't you pick up the phone like the minute that story hit so that we could correct it for our, our, our readers? We, we want to make sure we have the right information. Whether I'm, whether I'm ripping you apart or not, I want to make sure that our information is right. And he said, well, you know, I'm here to run education. I'm not here to be liked. I'm not here to correct every wrong news story. I'm an education guy. I'm not a public relations guy. And a light bulb went over my head, and I thought... I think I have this guy totally, totally wrong. Let's give him an opportunity. Let's give him a second chance to, you know, to get in my good graces and, and convince me <laughs> and convince me that I'm wrong. And so we sat down. We did a couple of interviews for the paper, and I looked up every single thing he told me. I, I dug into everything he told me, and everything he told me was right. So I want to start off with our interview today, Mr. Superintendent, former uh, soon-to-be commissioner, uh, apologizing to you because we had you wrong. And I don't mind saying that I had you. I know most people don't want to ever say when they're wrong, right, because they think somehow it like, makes them a bad person. I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong. In fact, I like admitting when I'm wrong because we get the right information out to our viewers, out to our listeners, out to our readers. And as far as I'm concerned, the most important thing is that my readers and my viewers have the correct information. So welcome to the show, and we apologize. Wow, I'm shocked. I, am I done? Can I go? <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to get any it's better after It's only going to go that, downhill right? from here. <laughs> It was an interesting time, right, Tommy? When I came, I think, you know, I was appointed actually by Deval Patrick. Oh, I'm sorry, Deval given, Patrick. Uh, not, not Governor Baker, and given the authority of both the superintendent and the school committee. Uh, and that was a lot of authority. And we chose, you know, I chose not to use all the authority I was given because I wanted to work with people. And Which turned out to be a mistake, right? Well, you know, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think... Uh, don't you know, we don't kept, be modest. No, we kept the school committee. The school committee was very functional for several years. Um, we had some attendance issues and some other issues recently. But I think there's an opportunity, you know, for them to right the ship in the future. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we did a lot of work with people. We hired a lot of people from Lawrence who came back, a lot of our college graduates to teach in the district, uh, you know, and that's why I think we got some results and some things done. Now, your biggest conflict that I've seen since you were appointed to be the receiver for the city of Lawrence was the unions, right? We were the unions that were saying, hey, no, look, we need an extra $15 because you put an extra step in front of City Hall and we have to go to a meeting. Like everything that, everything that you did, they wanted more money for, they wanted more benefits for, and they were, in my opinion, sucking the money out of the Lawrence Public Schools where it should be going to the kids, and it was really just going to benefits and bennies for them, right? So, I mean, I think we certainly had some clashes. They filed some unfair labor practice charges against me. Uh, we were able to eventually come to an agreement on a contract that I thought was reasonable. I'm not against unions uh, at the end of the day, uh, as long as it's about kids first and not adults first. Right. And that's kind of where I come down on that. It doesn't seem to me that Frank McLaughlin cares about kids first. I, you know, I don't know. I think Frank has been fairly supportive of the district in the last few years. I, you know, I... 
He, who, who are he you? Does, I, well. Who are you? <laughs> who is this guy? We go to coffee, I get a totally different story. That's not true. No, I'm sorry. Come on, behave. I'm sorry. So, all right. So, uh, Paul, do you have any questions for our superintendent? Well, uh, what went wrong? For me to come? For, for receivership to happen? Or? Yes. You know, I think, uh, as Tommy said, there was a dysfunctional school committee. They tried to show me the tapes. I never watched them. I wasn't interested in the past. Um, the graduation rate was at about 51%. Uh, less than half the kids were graduating four years. Uh -huh. The test scores were legitimately the lowest in Massachusetts. Uh, and so... What do you attribute that to? I mean, I'm sure that... Yeah, now, that you, now that you've been here for six years, you must have a good idea. <laughs> there's a hundred reasons, but if you were to just take one or two, what might they be? You know, I, I think there was a failure of leadership. Um, and if you look and see what I did when I first came, mm -hmm. I took six months to kind of assess the situation. A lot of people wanted me to fire everybody and turn, I was, it, I was one and of turn it into charter schools. But I actually saw there was a lot of good people in the teaching ranks. And so, I mean, we, look, we, we looked at the bottom 10% of teachers that weren't really doing well by kids, and we had to make some tough choices. Uh, but we kept 90% of the teachers. I did replace 50% of the principals. I felt like there was a real uh, leadership vacuum there um, who weren't very welcoming to our kids, who kind of were just doing business as usual and weren't having kids at the center of what we're, we were trying to get done. And I think it was that failure of leadership. Obviously, there had been issues with the previous superintendent and the school committee that was adding to the dysfunction, but there was a lot of talent inside Lawrence. And if you look at what's gone on with the progress, a lot of it's been made by having Lawrence people come back in and support their school system, particularly uh, young Latinos who have graduated from college and come back to be teachers. Right. I, I've always said that Lawrence is designed to fail and will always fail until Latinos, second, third generation Latinos who grew up in Lawrence, went off and got a job somewhere else, moved to Boston, New York, California, come back to Lawrence and start investing in Lawrence. When that happens, Lawrence has a chance to succeed. And you're saying that your, your tenure as superintendent, you've seen that actually happening Absolutely. in the school system. Absolutely. You've seen uh, great young people come back to their community and support the schools, and I attribute a lot of the gains to that. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, I mean, like with any place, right, if people can come back and be part of the fabric of the community, particularly professional people who want to come back and work on behalf of all the kids, that's, that's the recipe for improvement. Now, you're going to be the Commissioner of Education for Massachusetts. I got some stuff for you. <laughs> I'm sure you do. My biggest problem, and I mentioned it at last week's show, I don't know if you saw it, uh, my biggest problem with education in America is that we are teaching politics in the classroom, mm. and we're not teaching history. We are not teaching English. We are not teaching math, not adequately. And teachers are hired to teach subjects. They're not, they're not hired to teach anti-bullying campaigns, global warming, gay marriage, acceptance, um, feeling good about yourself, self-esteem classes. That's not why we have public education. That's what it's become. And if you're going to be the commissioner of education, what I'm going to be looking at from you, and again, I'm only one guy, right? But what I'm going to be looking at from you is to get rid of all this politics in the classroom. Look, when they can graduate, when 90% of the kids graduating from a, a public school can read, write, and speak English, can balance a checkbook, can get a job, can get into a four-year college, and then you want to talk about global warming? That's a discussion we can have if you want to teach global warming in the schools. But until then, can't we get the basics right first and get rid of all this politics? Because I see public education schools as really propaganda training grounds for little Eichmanns who are going to come out and they're going to be and they're going to be social justice warriors and black lives matter and all this other stuff if they want to learn that at home if they want to learn that in their neighborhood if they want to learn that in their church or in their social groups fine 
But in the public schools, we should be teaching them the basics, and we should be doing that right before we do any other stuff. What do you think about all that? So I think, look, I mean, we in Massachusetts is number one in the country in outcomes, uh, except with uh, poor kids, city kids, kids of color. And that has not ever really been addressed. And so I think we really need to start fixing that problem first mm -hmm. to make sure that all of our kids in Massachusetts are getting a good education. The politics you talk about, by the way, I would argue on both sides, um, are just kind of a function of what's happening in the country right now. And I think that needs to be out of the classroom. And I think we need to focus on the basics, you know, reading, writing, math, history. I think we're going to have a history adoption, and there's going to be a test on that. And we can talk about testing at some point. But um, at the end of the day, you want your child, I have two kids in the Boston Public Schools, to have a quality education, one, and then to be critical thinkers, right? To, to look and see, why is this person saying that, and is that true? Mm -hmm. And who's got another opposite perspective, and is that true? And right. then try to figure out for yourself, right. right? So sometimes what we're seeing in education is people trying to proselytize kids on either side. Right. And well, I mean, I, I'm uh, against uh, that. Let's be fair, though. There's not a whole lot of Republicans in the public education system saying that Trump is a great guy in the classroom. But I walk through the Lawrence Public Schools and the North Andover and Andover and Methuen Public Schools, and all I hear when I walk by every classroom is that Donald Trump's a racist. So I don't see it on the, we, you know, I know we try to equate it so that it's okay to say that the liberals are doing bad things so we say oh it's both sides but I don't see it happening on the other side at all even in, even in conservative North Andover I don't see it I hear Trump's a racist global warming save the planet gay marriage I hear all that stuff but I'm not hearing Trump's a great guy, global warming's a, a hoax. How about teach both? If you're gonna have teachers say uh, some people say Donald Trump's a racist and here's why then give the list of, you know, some people like Donald Trump and they say he's not a racist, and here's why. Like, just give both sides. I think teaching kids to think critically is the way to go. And, I, you know, I, my view is parochial because I focus on Lawrence. Right. Uh, but I do remember reading something about a town, I want to say it's in Ohio or Pennsylvania, where there's this real political issue happening in the schools where there's Trump families and, the, you know, right. and there's you know, anti-Trump anti -Trump families, families and, and it's playing out in the school. And what I would argue is we need to kind of focus on the standards the kids need to learn right. and then to teach them to think critically, to, to look at both sides of an issue mm -hmm. and make their own judgment right. because that's what we want from our kids at the end. I'm the sure day. Paul's got some great questions for you. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know about that, but um, a couple of things came to mind as you, you two were talking. Um, first... You, you mentioned that in Massachusetts, the quality of education is, is tops, except for uh, minority and poor communities, and I assume Lawrence is one of those. What do you, it seems to me like there is a, a cultural problem. Um, I, I think you, you mentioned that um, a lot, there's a lot of talent there with teachers and so forth. How do you deal with the deeper problem that certain uh, cultural standards uh, do not uh, do not value um, classroom education as much as uh, others other cultures might. Um, so I guess what I'd say to that is what my experience in education in various urban areas um, uh, has shown that particularly for immigrant kids, they are the kids and the families that most value education. They are our hardest working kids. I, I go home sometimes and I wish my own two children, hmm. who frankly have become kind of ugly Americans and have had everything right. handed to them, right. Right. Um, had the work ethic and the dedication to their learning that some of my first generation kids in Lawrence do. So I'm not sure that's the issue. What I see is poverty has effects. We know that. We know that if you're a second language learner or if you're even a, a poor kid, poor kids, there's something called a word gap. Here, 30 million fewer words 
mm. by the time they're like two or three years old than an affluent family does. Mm. And so you're already starting with an achievement gap in kindergarten, right? And so how do we uh, control for that and try to fix that? That's and a great question. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, for me, the, what I've tried to believe is that it's the best thing that can fix achievement gaps is more time with good teachers, right? I was raised in a Marine Corps family. Uh, I will say, Tommy, that uh, my father used to like to read your articles when you were claiming these things about me in the, my first few years as being the Did he like uber it? liberal. He laughed, yes. He Excellent. thought that was funny. Excellent. Um, as long as I can entertain, that's all I you know. And <laughs> so my dad, he was a Marine. He did, you know, time in Vietnam. Uh, and he kind of raised us on this idea of a meritocracy. You know, mm. all kids, anybody can do anything if they work hard enough. Right. But that actually only works if all kids start in the same place. Right. right? So how do we make sure that all of our kids, whether they're African-American, Latino, white, start in the same place in high school, and then let's have it. Without interfering with parental authority, how do you do that? Well, that's the question. Before, I, think, I think you're right. It's before kindergarten. Right. I mean, I think it's about educating mm -hmm. parents about the need to have kind of word and print-rich environments. I mean, you can't, you know, uh, take over kids' lives. That's not... Maybe public schools should have adult education to bring all parents up to par to become better parents. Do we, have money? Do we have money for that? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's bad enough they're indoctrinating uh, the kids and turning uh, the kids into well, little Eichmanns. You want them to, take the, to turn the parents into little Eichmanns too? Well, hopefully the parents are mature enough not to buy all of the stuff that, that they're being sold. Wow. So one of the things we talked about last week, Jeff, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Commissioner, uh, what, what do I call you? Co co superintendent, commissioner? Jeff is fine. All right. Um, uh, one of the things we talked about last week was that um, most high schools don't have vocational training anymore. Yeah. And a lot of these kids, especially in poor communities, really need vocational. I know we have vocational schools, but they're hard to get into, and they're hard to stay in once you get into them. I know I went to the Vulcan Lawrence in, uh, in Andover um, for my first two years. And it seems as though when I was in Lawrence High School, we had Mr. Hutton, we had Woodshop, we had, wood shop, we had um, uh, civics lessons where they taught us how to balance a checkbook, and uh, you know, they told us this is going to be your income for the year, and you've got to pay your electric bill, you've got to pay your light bill, you've got to pay rent. And they taught us life skills. It doesn't seem like that's happening in public schools in Massachusetts anymore. You're going to be the commissioner. We're hoping to see a lot more of that. I think you will. I think what you've seen in Lawrence in particular, I mean, you know, all over in American high schools, kids are asking the same question. What does this have to do with the real world? Right. Right? And um, I asked that in trigonometry, in trigonometry every <laughs> single day. When am I ever going to need this? And they're not necessarily wrong, right? So we have to get experiences and opportunities for our kids. In Lawrence High now, we have an early college program to get kids kind of inoculated into that process because we've seen city kids wash out of college early sometimes and to give them some support to have some success and get a, you know have some early wins as they get into college for real. But then we have this kind of pathways program where we're trying to get interns for our kids to businesses in the community so they can have these kind of real-world experiences, some of which, by the way, we'll take an could intern. be paid. We'll take an intern at the Valley Pay. We'll take an intern here on the show, too. We'll give me two. I'll okay. take them. Well, we appreciate that. So, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot more vocational programming. I, I you know, I, I have been very clear with people that I'm not setting an agenda as commissioner until I get there, until I have a chance to talk to everybody, but I've seen the value of vocational education, and I've also seen that it's become really difficult to get into a vocational school. It now. is. The standards to get in Very are high. much higher than, and there's kids that would have been great plumbers, electricians, carpenters who now can't get in. And so how do we figure that out? And I think there's two ways to do it. It's maybe expanding the footprint of the current vocational schools, but it's also bringing some of these pathways back to the traditional comprehensive high schools. And I think there is federal money to allow that to happen. It's something I'd like to say. One of the things you guys do very well in Lawrence 
um, and I got to see it for myself on multiple occasions, is you have an amazing junior ROTC program and an ROTC best program. Best in the state. Uh, is that true? It's the best in the state, or are you just being almost, prideful? Almost every year, it's the best in the state. Um, yeah. I, and I watch what those kids do. Some of them come to our bash. We have some kids from your our junior ROTC come to our charity bash every year yep. to do Honor Guard when we're honoring veterans. Uh, amazing kids. They're the nicest kids. Uh, not, it's not what you would expect. You get these Lawrence High kids show up at our charity bash every year. They're in uniform. They're respectful. Um, you know, they come over and say, excuse me, Mr. Duggan, do you know what time we're going? Like, uh, they're just polite, nice kids. And we're always talking about the bad in Lawrence. And I wish, I wish stuff like that could get talked. I try to. But I wish stuff like that would get talked about more by other members of the media. Because you guys, you guys have, uh, what's the, the, the colonel's name that runs the uh, junior ROTC program? I met him at Lawrence High. Um, a couple months ago. Sergeant Major, Sergeant. I'm blanking on his name now. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> I didn't throw, throw, throw it at you. He's not a colonel. Yeah. Um, no, well, I got like Colonel Sam on my brain, that's why. Um, you have any other questions, Paul? I got a couple here, too, if you, don't, if, if you um, were done. Can, can I just go back to that for sure. one second, Tommy, mm. and say uh, when I first came, there was so much negativity about Lawrence. And I've just seen a lot of great things. Our kids are amazing. We have great kids. Do we have some problems from time to time? Yes, we do. Just like every, you know, frankly, suburban or city does. And uh, Lawrence was really being painted unfairly for a long time. And uh, as you know, because you've personally dealt with them, you've personally given scholarships to them. We've got a lot, a lot of great kids that are doing the right thing. And um, it's a really great school system. And, and there's a lot more to improve on. Nobody's saying that. Talk, uh, talk about some of the good stuff. Um, when you came... Everything was a disaster. Talk about what has changed since you came on board. Are the test scores up? The dropout rates lower? Teen pregnancy lower? Um, MCAS scores higher? Like, what's higher? What's lower since you've come on board? So the graduation rate's gone from, I think, 52 to 73%. The dropout rate's been cut in half. We're at uh, historical highs on proficiency rate on MCAS. Uh, there's a new test this year, so that's all out the window. They're reshuffling the, the mark. But, uh, you know, we had substantial growth in math, English, and science. We've got a lot more kids going to college. Added back arts and enrichment. Um, for I kids. noticed that you guys have a lot more plays and a lot more, a lot more artsy stuff, yeah. a lot more that's sports. That's usually what gets cut stuff. when you have a yeah. A, a, that's a, it's a it's it's very. Uh, I cut the, my central office to be able to pay for a longer school day so that kids could have these arts and enrichment opportunities, sports. This is important to kids in life, right? I mean, I, maybe Tommy, you went to school for school. I went to school mostly for sports, and then I did well in school until I grew up and figured it out. Right. I was it's, a nerd, so I I just went for the school. Okay. Well, I wasn't involved that, in any that, sports. That's good. I don't even know. Uh, somebody was here last week. He said something about a gronk. I have no idea what that is, but everybody laughed when I said that, so I don't know. He's a Patriots tight end. Is, he, is that yeah. what it is? Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. I, I don't know. I literally know nothing about sports. You're bringing Paul back a very painful memory <laughs> last Paul, weekend. Paul, Paul hates, Paul hates when I, uh, whenever I talk about uh, Patriots. And the other thing we did at, right at the beginning was we fixed the buildings. Uh, there were bathrooms without stall doors on them with no toilet paper. There were broken windows with jarred glass that kids could cut themselves on. Stair threads were gone and on stairs so kids could fall down. We spent a lot of time and effort trying to fix those. We actually had to get a waiver from the state I was just gonna say, to use you, school department right. money to do it mm -hmm. yeah. because the city at the time had no money, right. right? And so, but we felt like it was so important that kids had a quality environment to go to. And that's, I think, what started the parents being on our side, right? They really started saying, like, we care about their kids and we want to have them have a great experience. Mm -hmm. They get to, you know, play sports as early as fourth and fifth grade. I mean, it's just... It, it was kind of a combination of things, and it had very little to do with me. It's really the, the people inside the system that have made the changes. Do, do kids Not, none of that is true. It does have to do with Jeff Riley. It uh -huh. has to do with Jeff Riley's leadership. 
under the previous superintendent or even the superintendent before that, none of that was going on. None of that advocacy was going on. And none of the shuffling around that you did was going on. I know you're a modest guy, so you want to give other people credit. I do that all the time, right? We do great stuff at the Valley Patriot. I give everybody else credit. But the bottom line is other people need to call it out for what it is. Jeff Riley came on board, and he turned the school system around. Now, I'm not saying that it's a glaring success, right? Because it's still the Lawrence schools, and they still have problems. But at least the Lawrence schools are in a much better position now to succeed and to build on those gains than they were when you came, at least from what I've seen. Would you agree with that at least? Uh, we're at a much better place than we were, yeah. and we've got a long way to go. And I hope that, you know. Is Dan Rivera going to screw it up now that you're leaving? I hope not. I think uh, Dan is really about the kids in the city, so I hope that they're going to get it together know, and, and he, go to the next level. I know, but, he, but he sold out to the teachers. He sold out to Frank McLaughlin in the teachers' union, the SEIU. So, I mean, we know where that ends up eventually. Time will tell. All right. The good he news is he doesn't want to bite. The good news is, in my position, I'll still have some Thank ability to. Thank you for bringing to. the beautiful ladies from the Lawrence schools, because every time I look out, I see them, and it's just like I could be here forever. And Mr. Markins is not? Yes, it's exactly right, <laughs> yes. I'm hoping he'll date me later. Okay. All right. Paul, anything? I don't know. Do, do uh, kids still have recess? We do have recess. That's, that's so Absolutely. important. To me, that was so important. We actually have a school called Spark <laughs> Academy, which intermingles yeah. academics with athletics. Yeah. Good. So kids like go for a period of math and then they'll go for a period of gym and then science and gym based on this book out of Harvard University that says uh, exercise is the miracle growth of the brain. And they've got yeah. all these studies that say so the kids that exercise, it helps yeah. them learn better. Right. Gym class is so important. Yeah. I hated gym. I actually literally never <laughs> really? went to gym. I you know what gym. I loved? Anything physical. Maybe, maybe you can, uh, you can uh, comment on this. I, I used to love bombardment. Is Remember that? that? Yeah. Remember that like game? Like dodgeball kind yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you throw balls at people and you hope to hit them in the head. <laughs> uh, I was really good at it. But uh, is, uh, what's, what's been going That's on That's kind of what the show is, right? <laughs> right, pretty much, right? <laughs> what's been going on with uh, parents and school systems uh, keeping kids from being hurt? Is it, I mean, is there... Is all of what you hear in the media true about that? Tell me more. Like, what are you hearing in the media? Uh, things like um, th they're not allowing kids to, to play certain things, even even tag because you might push somebody over. Yeah, all um, the political correct bullshit. All the political correct stuff. I, it, I haven't seen a lot of that. You haven't seen a lot of that. Um, okay. There is, uh, you know, I will say this, obviously, um, a big issue around concussions, and oh, yeah, well, particularly yeah. Manasself and football. And I think, right, right. I think we've had to be really careful with all of that. And um, it, what you've seen is a real drop in the numbers of kids playing football. Uh, maybe not so sure. much in the south, but definitely in the northeast where hmm. uh, parents are worried about it. Yeah, football is a pretty big thing around here. We were talking last week about um, how the crime has gone down in Lawrence. Yep. And everybody's always befuddled when that happens, right? Because Lawrence's crime is usually statistically always very high. And so for the last 30 to 60 days... Um, Violent crime has gone down 40% in Lawrence, okay. at least from the numbers that we looked at. And from just from driving around the city, I drive around every night and I chase police calls. Uh, one of the reasons I think for that, and I'm glad we've got you here to either confirm or deny this, is that I remember when my mom was the, was the nurse at the Frost School, and she would tell me that come like December to the beginning of March, about a third of her kids would go back to the Dominican Republic. So you had fewer kids in the schools and fewer kids in the city. And I'm wondering if you still see that. Like, come like, as soon as it starts getting cold, do you have that flight to the Dominican again where you've got like a good quarter or a third of the kids that are just not there anymore and then they come back when the, when the weather gets nicer? No, not at all. I think what we're seeing is we do see um, kids going back to the DR for a 
week or two and then coming right back to school. But at the same time, starting in January, we always in the past six years have seen a huge influx of new students, um, many from the DR, many coming from Central and South America into our school. So it's actually a time when we get more kids. So you're saying more kids are coming in, more people are coming in. When I came, Tommy, we had 12,300 kids and now we're at like 14,100. Wow. And how are you accommodating all those kids? I mean, Lawrence does not have a lot of room. It's a real problem. We're running out of space. The city, as you probably know, uh, sold off a lot of those buildings 10 or 15 years ago because they said, oh, the numbers are going to keep going down. But that that hasn't happened. So we've had to rent. Bad bad planning once again in the city. So we've had to rent space at St. Mary's or, you know, or in the mills. And and that's not a great solution. What we have been doing in the last couple of years is um, getting back in the MSBA program where the state will fund 80 percent of new buildings. We have some good new buildings that are in good shape. We have some buildings that are 1895 that need to be replaced. And so when we replace those, we're trying to build bigger buildings. If it's a 500 building, uh, student building, maybe we need an 800 student building to make sure that we have the space to deal with this increased enrollment. Talk to me about the Oliver School. I keep hearing that they're going to tear down the Oliver School, they're looking to build a new school, that the properties that are surrounding the school are getting bought up by politically influential people because they're expecting some kind of a big thing to happen. And I haven't been able to drill down and find out like what exactly is all this going on. So I don't know about the properties, I mean, except what I've heard in some press reports. Uh, what I do know is that that is one of the buildings in the MSBA that's been given preliminary approval to get into the process. There are many stages along the way that you have to go through with the MSBA uh, to get final approval. Uh, but the Oliver School will be, if we continue in this process without any issues, rebuilt and probably in a larger space, larger size. Now, is the school system looking to take properties surrounding that property? Uh, in order for like parking for a garage, so like the big the big controversy is you get a city councilor that was accused of owning a piece of property and buying a piece of property next to the Oliver School, knowing that you guys were going to want to take that for something and she was going to make a big profit. I don't know if that's true. I've, I I drilled down into that story. I researched that story. It looked very true at the very beginning, and then as we learned more later on, it all kind of got called into question. So I'm even I'm not yeah. sure. I, you know, I think it's too early in the process to know what the footprint of that school is going to be. Uh, if people were speculating or not, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I know nothing about that, but uh, I'm sure it will come out if it was an issue. Paul? Well, I just think that the everybody-goes-to-college mentality that has evolved over the past couple of decades is not yep. necessarily good for many of our students today, and I'm glad to hear what you, what you said about vocational training. Yep. Well, I'd like to say something else about that, too. I mean, I think yeah. we need to really increase our vocational opportunities. Um, by the way, a kid coming out of a vocational school as a carpenter or a plumber, that's a great life, you know. Yeah. Sure. If you guys have called a plumber, you know how no, much that costs. No um, so that's important. Our, a lot of our kids go to the military. I think that's great. You know, they're, they're serving their country. That's wonderful. Um, and the college thing, we, you know, People in America, I think, are going to ask themselves, is this worth it at some point when you're paying $75,000 a year? I right around the corner. Right? Yes. And so in Massachusetts, um, one of the good things that's happened in Massachusetts is they have this thing called the Commonwealth Commitment where you can go to community college, which is much cheaper, for two years. And if you do well with a 3.0 or better, you can transfer as a junior to the UMass system, nice. cutting your tuition down substantially. Sure. And I, my sense is is that college now is probably what high school was 20 years ago, mm-hmm. where you, you, maybe you have to go if, if you're not doing some of these other vocational things. That's or, what I said on my Facebook page the other day. Right. College is the new high school. Right. But yeah. so that's, I mean, there's some... Mm-hmm 
uh, truth to that. And so the question is for families, how can we get them to be, make this affordable? Right. I mean, I think of my kids, my son's 15 today, my daughter's 12. I mean, are we really going to pay $75,000 a year? By the time they get to, to college, it'll probably be $100,000 right. for a year. Astronomical. You know, and I, I don't think, I think it's a bubble that, that may burst in the next coming. Yeah, you got, you got kids graduating with a master's degree in gender studies, and the only job <laughs> available for them is teaching gender studies. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> out there for you. But if, if you know how to do plumbing, electrical, mm. you know how to do uh, carpentry, um, I th and, I th and by the way, the Latino culture, they're very attuned to that. They're very hands-on. Um, the, it seems like all of my Latino friends, they're not carpenters, electricians, or plumbers, but they're over the office and they're hanging out and they're like, hey, I can fix that for you. And they do. Like, they're, they're very good at the, at the, at the, um, at the vocational stuff. Um, Are you saying you don't uh, spend lots of time studying gender? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Okay. I study women maybe oh, okay. more than anything else, gotcha. but I don't study gender. I got you. Oh, maybe time for me uh, to go. Time to go. Time for <laughs> Jeff to go. Uh, so, so, Mr. Superintendent, give us, yes. give us some news. Give us something that we can break for people. You're going to be the commissioner of education. You must have given some thought about some of the, maybe something you want to change, something you want to bring to the job when you, when you finally step in at the end of the school year and become the commissioner of uh, the Massachusetts Board of Education. Um, what is it that we can educate our, our, uh, our viewers, our listeners, and our readers uh, as far as like what they can expect from Jeff Riley and, and maybe, maybe some news, maybe something good? So what, as I said earlier, I'm going to take uh, the first six months to really talk to everybody and try to figure out what is next for Massachusetts This is education. where he doesn't answer the question. No, but I'm going okay. to have an answer for you, too. All right. Um, with that said, one theme you may see from me is a return to focus on, on what quality teaching looks like. The dirtiest secret in American education today is that all teachers are the same. They're not. The variation in teacher quality in America is like this. Mm -hmm. And you guys know that because you went to high school, right? You probably had a couple great teachers. You probably had some mediocre teachers. And you probably had a couple terrible teachers. Yep. And Happy to name them, too. No, no, no. We're not <laughs> there. And so what other countries do is they limit that variation, right? And they're able to kind of uh, have a better group grouping of teachers, and I think Massachusetts has a pretty good group of teachers overall, but if we can start getting back to focusing on classroom instruction and really supporting and celebrating our teachers, there's been a lot of talk of charter schools and systems and structures and way to fix things, and we've kind of lost the focus on the classroom. And, you know, what parents care about is who's in front of their kid every day and are they learning? What, what, what is your assessment? Teachers are our most important asset. Yeah, I'm really anti-teacher, quite frankly. Well, <laughs> you can't be, Tommy. They're the, I am. They're in the trenches. I am. You, you know, it's I, I am. I'm, anti I'm sorry. I know everybody says how wonderful teachers are, but I, I walk through these schools, and, I, and, I, and all I hear is politics. All I hear is global warming. All I hear is Trump is a racist. All I hear is the politics. And, and, and then I look at the graduation rates, not just Lawrence. I look at, it, I look at them everywhere. You look at Lawrence, Springfield, Holyoke, Haverhill. It's abysmal, and they can always tell, well, we're 5% more than we were last year, but yeah, but your last year sucked too. Like, you know, you went from 5% to 10% or 8% uh, to 9%. I'm, I'm pretty anti-teacher, quite frankly. Academia. You to, can't to, be, Tommy. To build on you what can't. he's saying, academia, for some reason, attracts those with Lunatics. a certain leftist <laughs> ideology. Uh, I did not know that. Okay. You, you, you haven't recognized this yet. <laughs> Hang out no. with Paul. He'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and this is true from elementary all the way through uh, graduate school. Okay. Uh, it's the subtle stuff. I mean, I know Tom's saying all this um, uh, obvious propaganda stuff, but it's, it's the how they teach the normal stuff, but, but subtly with a certain ideology that I think is, is the dangerous problem, in my opinion. 
Your teachers need to stop right. teaching politics. They need to stop pushing their, their, their personal beliefs onto kids and just teach the subject. You know, I mean, look, if you hate Trump, fine. Hate Trump after school. But, <laughs> but, but, don't, be, but don't, be, you know, don't be saying Trump, Trump said all Mexicans are rapists. He never said that. I actually heard that in the classroom last week. One of your classrooms, too. I, I didn't call you because it wasn't important enough to bother you. But, um, but I, I, I hear it, and, and I just... I, my brain just goes insane because I think... You know, these kids have a hard enough time getting through life as it is. They have a hard enough time getting through their education as it is. And to, and to, to screw up their brains, to cloud their brains with all this political stuff, it doesn't help them get a job. It doesn't help them learn life skills. And, and if you're a teacher and you're not on board with that train of ideology, you get ostracized and fired. Yeah, right. No comment at all on that. We can talk about butt boxing. Uh, want to go there? <laughs> uh, no, I don't want to go uh, there, Tommy. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, that's Mike wrong because I have no idea what that is, nor do I want to know. Uh, you know what I'd say is that there may be a small percentage of teachers that are trying to infuse their own political beliefs into the classrooms. That hasn't been my overall experience, and it's it's something that we don't necessarily want to see happen, right? right? We want kids to be critical thinkers. We want kids to actually learn the standards, right? Right. And if all our kids learn the standards and are able to think critically about things, then they'll be fine. I know you've got to go because your people are all packing up and they're getting ready to go. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Anything that you can impart upon our viewers, our readers, our listeners? Because we're going to transcribe the interview. We'll put it in the next edition of the paper. We'll put it up online and, and stuff. Uh, is, there, is there anything you want to impart? You're going to be leaving Lawrence after six years. You're going to be starting this brand new venture, which, by the way, I really congratulate you on. I, I, I actually talked to Charlie Baker a couple of times, ran into him, and, uh, and the very first thing I said to him both times I ran into him was, you need to make Jeff Riley the commissioner of education, the guy who really understands what's going on in inner schools. Uh, there must be something that you want to impart with us. You know, I think for me, uh there was a lot of unknowns coming up here, right? I mean, I think um, I was pretty comfortable in Boston. My kids go to school there. I had grown up professionally in the Boston public schools. Uh, and so I, I took a chance to come up, but it has been the best thing that I've ever been part of. Um, it's a great community. And a lot of the negativity that people, um, particularly in the beginning, it was just, it was a pile on on Lawrence. That hasn't been what I've seen, right? I mean, I've seen amazing families and kids, and my kids can do anything. And so um, they just like the Irish and Italians 100 years ago. They just want their part of the American dream. Right? Right. It's, it's the same story, right? Big families, God-fearing, respectful of schools, they're just here to get their chance. And I think, uh, I think uh, we owe it to our kids to make sure they get that chance. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the service that you gave to the kids in Lawrence. Um, thank you for sending us Arlen a couple of weeks ago. She talked about what uh, the Lawrence Public Schools does for homeless kids. Yeah. I thought, even though that was like our lowest rated show, I actually thought that was the best show that we did because we actually got a chance to educate people about what the people in the Lawrence Public Schools do. So thank you for that. Any potting words, Paul? No, good luck. Appreciate and it. And your new position. Thank you so much. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, guys. Thanks for bringing um, your friends, too. Appreciate that. <laughs> that was awesome. Chris Markins, thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Maria, for everything you do and for your friend. I'm sorry, I don't know her name. Maria Ladani, thank you so much. It's amazing. Back after this, I'm paying attention.
Now let's get back to paying attention. And here's your host, Tom Duggan. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you, Ms. Dunny. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. I'm Tom Duggan here on the Paying Attention podcast segment number. What is this? Three? Segment number three? One, two, three. I think so. Uh, we are here with Paul Morano, my co-host. We're going to be bringing up Mike Demers in a couple minutes. Um, this is usually the, uh, the Tom Duggan rant section of the show. Now that Paul is here, he can tell me how I'm wrong about everything that I say. I thought that would be a good sounds, balance. Sounds like a good thing. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about today is, you know, I'm watching CNN, Paul, for the last couple of days. I watch, actually, I watch CNN all day in my office. If I'm in the office, CNN's on. Uh, there's only two shows on Fox that I like to watch the rest of the time I'm watching CNN. And all I've heard for the last four or five days is we shouldn't have a military parade to mm. honor our military because Kim Jong-un does that. <laughs> and I, I keep hearing these mindless liberals who are really zombies just repeating what they've been told to say by CNN and the Democrats that Trump is trying to have a Russia-style military parade. He's trying to have a Kim jong Only Kim Jong-un does this. As if no other countries on the planet have parades for their military. And then... As they're saying all this, Paul, as, as they're, like, the words are coming out of their mouth, they're showing behind them the Bastille Day in France where Donald Trump got the idea mm. to have this military parade. Right. He wasn't in North Korea. He wasn't in Russia. He was in France, which is what the liberals think of, like, the panacea of the world, right? That's the utopia. We should, we should do everything France does. And, <laughs> That's and, true. And, and suddenly it's, he, he's having a, he's, he, he's, he's a Nazi because he wants to have our military marching through the streets. And the other, the other excuse that we keep hearing uh, as an excuse for why we shouldn't have a military parade, it's going to cost too much. The liberals, the people who want to give all of our tax money to illegal aliens who are citizens of other governments, they came here against our will, give them whatever they want, free housing, free food, free education, free trips to the hospital, free health care, but a military parade, that might cost too much. Like, are you kidding me? I assume you are for this idea. Well, yeah. Anything that's going to anything that's going to honor our military, I'm usually for because I love I love our military. I, I'm just curious. I mean, I I, I got to be honest with you. When I heard about the idea, the first thing I thought of were communist countries doing this to show the world how tough they are. Right. Um, so I thought of that too. Now, right. then I said to myself, well, because what that's, what, that's what the media brainwashes yeah, exactly. us to believe, sure. right? But then, you, but then you, you actually have a critical thought in your head and you actually start thinking about it, so right? So, yeah, then I thought of, well, what's the purpose of this uh, if, if, if we pull this off? Uh, is it worth the money? And I don't have answers to those yet. So, why don't you give us your answer? What is the main purpose of showing. Uh, having a parade with with military things going down the roads. Yeah, it's not that complicated. It's to honor our military. It's to honor them. It's to honor our military. How does that, how does that honor military if you just have, like, tanks and stuff go? Is it is it the people, too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're going to be, be waving? And yeah, yeah. It's going like to be the Marines, the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, right. probably the Coast Guard, maybe even the Boy Scouts, who knows. Um, the, the purpose is, well, what's the purpose of the St. Patrick's Day Parade? Right? The purpose of the St. Patrick's right. Day Parade is to honor Irish Americans in St. Patrick's Day. Right. Right? Irish immigrants who came here uh, to have people stand on the side and eat hot dogs and wave and listen to the bands and, and enjoy honoring Irish Americans. That's what, that's what St. Patrick's Day is for. Um, what, what, is, uh, what is any parade for? Right? A parade is, is a celebration. Donald Trump wants to celebrate our military. And I think it's fitting after eight years of Barack Obama shitting on our military. As mm. After eight years of the Democrats shitting on our military, cutting their funding, 
telling them that they have to have rules of engagement in the field where basically they have to have lawyers every time they shoot a Muslim terrorist and make sure they ask them, you know, if they want a free lawyer or something. After all of that, and North Korea became more deadly, Al-Qaeda became more deadly, ISIS became more deadly, all of the tyrants in the world became more powerful because we had a weak president and a weak Democrat party that was cutting our own military. Now we have a president that wants to beef up our military. He wants to spend more money on our military. He has done away with most of the rules of engagement that Barack Obama used, Obama used to, to tie the hands of our military out in the field on the battlefield. And I think the guy just genuinely loves the military. You can say he's a, he's a racist, he's a Nazi, he's evil, he's mean, he says mean things. But uh, I think he just genuinely loves the military. And I think he's, he's trying to find a way to get America to love the military too. Because let's face it, 50% of our country are a bunch of traitors. They hate cops, they hate the military, and they hate our freedom. And everything that they fight for is against those three things. And I think having a, a, a military parade would maybe for the kids that are coming up, and maybe it'll, it'll instill a little bit of pride in America and pride in our military. If that's how you feel, would you say that every town should have a, say, a, a, a police officers uh, parade? I'd love it. I'd love it. And Look, maybe at, the firefighters and police officers uh, I, get together and start and wave. I would them. absolutely love it. Every year in May, when when um, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund hmm. has their a candlelight vigil for cops that were killed the year before. Mm. Police officers from all over the country. It's not a parade, but it's a motorcade. And police officers from all over the country get in their cruisers and drive down in a motorcade. And like they'll, they'll start, say, like in Amesbury, right? They'll pick up, they go through Merrimack, and Merrimack mm. cops will join them. They get to Lawrence, Lawrence cruisers will join them. And as they go south, more police officers join, and they all go down. To me, that's, that shows an incredible amount of respect for the law enforcement officers that lost their lives mm. and the law enforcement officers that go out there every day in this tough environment and continue to do their job, put their lives on the line. I don't know anybody saying, gee, this costs too much money. Oh, this is, this is the other uh, communist countries do this. Look, Nazis wore uniforms. Firefighters in America wear uniforms. That doesn't yeah. make firefighters Nazis. Doctors so wear uniforms. So don't tell me that because a communist country has a military parade, we can't have one because we'll look like them. There's no moron on the planet, unless you're a left-wing moonbat moron, who looks at an American Marine platoon marching down Pennsylvania Avenue and thinks about Nazis. If you do, you're an idiot. And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be conforming what we do to your idiocy. <laughs> More devil's advocate for you. Sure. Where should the line end then? If the taxpayers pay for a parade for the military and even town for, for, for uh, police officers, what if, say, the public school system says, hey, we want to be honored too? Uh, we are molding your children. Let's, right. go, let's go down. Uh, I don't like the way they're molding our children. You don't get a parade. <laughs> I don't either, by the way. But, uh, but should there be a line, or where is the line? Just, just with uh, those I, that protect lives? I think, yeah. I think if you're someone Physically? who put... Who put we should have a parade for firefighters. Mm. We should have a parade for police officers. We should have a parade for our military. If you can think of another category, I'd be happy to add it. But if you're an individual who's in a profession where you put your life in the line to go out and protect other people, yeah, we should honor you once you in a while. You should be recognized. You should be recognized. Absolutely. You should be recognized. I think firefighters are the least recognized in the country, right? Because we, we talk a lot about police because it's in the news more. Uh, firefighters, they, they put their lives on the line too. In fact, firefighters, the dangers that they face are long-term dangers. Most of the mm. firefighters 
that are having problems are firefighters that end up with emphysema or lung cancer because they're in these burning buildings all the time. And if you think mm -hmm. about what's in your home, plastic and all, styrofoam right. and all the things that are in your home that are made of toxic that, things. That when they breathe in. They breathe that in and um, you know, they, get all the, they get all these physical ailments because of it. Most of them continue to come to work and do their job every day, even with those ailments. I know at least two firefighters that have cancer still working. So yeah, I, I think if you're putting your life on the line for somebody, you should have a parade. And anybody who could find an excuse to say they don't want this military parade, what they're really doing, in my, in my view, is outing themselves as people who just hate the military. Because look, I can find an excuse to be against anything that I want, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm just giving an excuse, that's really all it is, isn't it? You know, I mean, I, I could be against, I can be against anything, but if I'm not going to come out, it's like North Andover a couple of weeks ago. They took a vote against having a marijuana facility in North Andover. What we heard was not the truth about why people were against it. They were against it because they don't think marijuana should be legal. Not one person got up and said that. Not one person had the balls to get up and say, hey, you know what? I'm against this plant in North Andover because I think marijuana should be illegal and I don't think we should have it here and, and I don't think we should have it at all, so I'm voting no. What they said was, oh, well, marijuana is bad for children. It's going to drain the lake. There's going to be traffic concerns. And they were, those were all lies. Those were all lies because they were embarrassed that their real position was irrational. Uh, what was this that uh, North Andrew wanted, wanted they to wanted, They wanted to build a, a growing and research facility for medical marijuana oh, at okay. the old Lucent plant. Okay. And Jeff Goldstein and Orique Goldstein were looking to build uh, the, this huge, huge, humongous growing facility inside the, inside the old Lucent building at Osgood Landing on 125. And it was going to be $5 million to the town that most of which was going to go to our education system in North Andover. And look, if people want to be against it, that's fine. But just be honest about why you're being against it. And I'm equating that to this situation because people in this situation... Because you believe that people hate the military. Right. Uh, which means that they hate uh, conservatives? Yeah. And they hate Trump. They hate Trump. They hate the military. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're climbing over each other trying to find an excuse, find a rational way to not look like they hate the military and say that they really don't want this parade for other concerns. But when you drill down into the other concerns, it's bullshit. It just mm -hmm. is. Just like it was bullshit when people get up at North End of a town meeting and said we shouldn't have this marijuana plant because it's going to drain Lake Echiquiquic. Well, that was just a lie. And, and, and the reason that they blatantly lied is because they didn't want to be honest about their irrational position, which was, I don't believe marijuana should be legal. So I'm not going to vote for this. And the people on this parade thing, they don't want to come out and say, yeah, we hate Trump more than we love America. We hate our military. We hate police officers. And so we don't want, we don't want this parade. At least be honest. At least just be honest and say, I hate the military. I hate America. Or at least I don't love America as much as I hate Donald Trump. And so I'm against this because it's going to make Donald Trump look good. You would respect honest liberals. Yes. I have friends who are honest liberals. Yes. I have tremendous respect for them. We disagree on everything. As long as they're being honest. And, you know, I'm honest. I want a wall. Hmm. I want a wall on the southern border. I want it to look like Escape from New York. I want a wall with a moat with piranhas. I want mines in the water. I want alligators. I want electric fences that go down into the, into the ground so nobody can tunnel underneath it. I want a wall. And I don't care who it disenfranchises. I don't care whose feelings it makes hurt. We need security on our border. You can't forget those alligators. Right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right? But now, that seems insensitive to people, right? To some mm. people. Some people, that's racism. It's this. It's insensitive, you're being mean. Okay, well, look, that's all subjective. My position doesn't change based on the names you call me. I'm just mm -hmm. going to be honest. 
I want a wall. I want every single illegal alien in this country deported unless I get a wall. Now, you give me a wall, I'm willing to negotiate. I'm willing to say, if you're in this country illegally and you're not causing problems, you've never been arrested, you haven't stolen someone's identity, um, you know, you haven't, you haven't caused any, and you want to stay, I'm okay with even, as much as it kills me, maybe even a path to citizenship, as long as we have a wall. Because America's like a boat. We got a big hole in the boat. We got water that's just pouring in. And if we just keep bailing and we don't try and fill the hole, we're just going to keep bailing and nothing, eventually the boat's going to sink. What you just mentioned, I think, is basically Donald Trump's position. It is. It? And fact, I said it on our show five years before Donald Trump became president. In fact, I think he is willing to, as you know, uh, allow 1.8 million uh, people that are here now to stay yeah. uh, as long as he gets his wall. Right. And the Democrats are against it. How funny is that? <laughs> They're very much against it. Yeah, they don't want it. But you know why? Well, because they, they, all of their political capital is spent on saying Donald Trump's a racist and he hates yes. Latinos. And if he's the one that lets a 1.8 million get citizenship, can't say that anymore. Might not be able to. Can't well, say they'll, they'll that. still say it, but it won't make yeah, all well, that. Yeah, nobody yeah. will listen. Mm-hmm. Right now, everybody's listening. You have half the country thinks Donald Trump's a Nazi, and the other half of the Trump think Donald Trump is the great, greatest thing since sliced bread. It's somewhere in the middle, right? He's done some things that are good. He's done some things that are not so good. But he's not the evil, racist Nazi that the Democrats and the left paint him out to be. But they're very vested in that narrative because they have nothing else. They say that they're mm. for Latinos, but they're against making 1.8 million of them citizens, right? They say they love blacks, but then they want illegal aliens to come take their jobs at half the money. <laughs> so, like, I say it on this show every week. I'm going to continue to say it. There's nothing that the Democrat Party at the national level believes. I'm sorry. Everything that the National Democrat Party believes is in direct contradiction to everything else the, direct, <laughs> the Democrat Party believes. It's, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, I, I, you know what? I don't understand why... Well, I do understand it, but isn't it interesting how left-wing media focuses on one person the entire time, focuses their hate on one person? Um, Right-wing media tends to focus more on the ideas, the policies, uh, whether it be good for the country or not. You even see this on, uh, quote-unquote, conservative and liberal people, say, on their Facebook pages. Right. There's, if, you're, if, if you are, consider yourself progressive, you're usually ridiculing and disparaging individuals. Right. And the scapegoat uh, of, of, uh, of the left today, of course, is Donald Trump. Before that, it was uh, George Bush. Right. Before that, it was... Yeah, remember uh, Bush, Bush was a Nazi. Bush was a absolutely. racist. Reagan was a Nazi. He was, Reagan. John McCain, it was, it was Ronald Reagan. John McCain went for president. He was a Nazi. Until he started uh, having liberal positions right. again. Right, right. <laughs> again, and then he, he wouldn't... Isn't he it wasn't. great? Guys like Trey... Right. Go- guys like... Uh, um, um, what's his name? Uh, Flake. Senator Flake. Mm. Right? Conservative, Republican. Six months ago, he was a Nazi. Now he's speaking out against Trump. He's the most brilliant person on CNN. He is the best. They love this guy now. It's amazing. Lindsey Graham, when he ran for president, I followed mm. him around for a week. I spent a week with Lindsey Graham. One of the nicest guys you're ever going to want to meet. The media eviscerated this guy as this crazy, kooky, single man without a family. Yeah. They did oh, all, yeah. these, oh, yeah. all of these things to try and disparage oh, yeah. his reputation. But now that he hates Trump, right, Lindsey right, right. Graham is Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsey Graham is the smartest person that yeah. ever walked the face of the earth. And if, if you funny. Could, I wish there was a network that would just take what the media says about people, like a whole network, would take what the media said about someone like six months ago and then what they're saying about them now and just run them back to back. 
Like a whole network. It would be the best entertainment on TV. It's really amazing what ideology does to human reason, yeah, isn't it? it? Yep. It doesn't allow it to work properly. Well, because when people are more concerned with defending their side than they are with the truth, and that, that's what you end up getting. It's team politics. It's kind of like I went to – I'm i I'm not a sports guy, as we talked about earlier. Mm. Um, I used to have a friend that used to go to Red Sox games, and every once in a while he'd ask me to go with him. And I'd go for the hot dogs and whatever. It's a nice day out. And I don't dislike baseball. I just, you know, I'm not a sports guy. Yeah, you know, follow him. And I remember I was at a game, and I can't remember who the player was, but it was a Red Sox player, and he rounded second base, but he missed the base. Okay. And when he got to third base, the umpire called him out. Yeah. And everyone at Fenway Park saw him miss the base— but everyone at they Fenway were angry Park at the went, Empire. oh, come on, come on, that's the, what do you mean he missed the base? We all watched him oh, miss you the see base. That. You see that in sports all the time, but this all is, the time. But this is, how, this is how politics has become. Hillary Clinton could go out and she could do the worst, meanest thing in the world, and they're going to make excuses for her. Um, the Democrats can say, no, no, we don't hate the military, we just think it costs too much, and people aren't even going to use their brain to think about it and, and, and see how hypocritical that is to the last thing that they said. So, you know, we, when, we, when we have a political culture that acts toward politics and our politicians with hero worship the way we look at sports figures mm. with hero worship, that they can do no wrong, that's how we— Well, if they're on our team. That, right. Yeah. That's, that's how we end up where we are, right? We make it, the Democrats make excuses. Anytime a Democrat comes out and does something bad or wrong, they make excuses for it, and it's okay. Right? No, the Nunes memo comes out and it says that Barack Obama's FBI was spying on the Trump campaign and giving information to the Hillary campaign. What do the Democrats say? Oh, come on, that's Nunes. He's partisan. Anything they can to distract, anything they can to say no, 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 no. Well, all you have to do is, as you know, uh, turn on uh, Fox News between 8 and 10 uh, versus MSNBC or CNN between 8 and 10 p.m., and you have both sides of, uh, of, of two completely different realities are being communicated. Right. I would like, if I had a rich friend, I would love to start a news, cable news network that was, and we call it Just News. It would be the JN Network. Just News. A reporter would come on and stand at the White House and say, Donald Trump today said, and then follow it up with, but the Democrats accused him of this. And not give their so opinion. You wouldn't, you, and you wouldn't have any entertainment programs on it? No, no. It's a news channel. If you want entertainment, right. watch E. <laughs> like there's a whole other channel for well, that. When you have, see, there's a whole other channel for that. It's I'm, the E, it's the it's, e Hollywood it's channel. The e channel. Watch yes. that. This However, is news. We want news. I, I, I say good luck to you if you can do that because you have 24/7 uh, coverage right now uh, of news to uh, to fill. I mean, right now we're trying to fill two hours and we can do it. But imagine if we were on 24 hours. I could do it. Without any entertainment I could do it. in it whatsoever. Listen, here's how you do it. And if mm. I got a rich friend out there, take notes. Mm. Here's how you do it. All right. You have anchors at a desk who talk about the national stories, but don't talk about it the way everyone else is talking about it. Go out and do your own research. Don't just repeat what CNN said. Don't just repeat what Fox said, because that's what they do now. They watch each other's channels, and they just say, everybody's saying the same thing. They're just saying it a little different. Don't do that. If there's a story on Fox, call one of the principal witnesses or, or people involved in the story. Get a separate quote, a different quote that everyone has, and do your own story. But then when that's over, that could maybe give you an hour or two hours of news. We have news stations all over America. Kansas, California, Oregon, Texas. There's no reason why you can't say, okay, and now to, now to uh, Houston, Texas, where there's, a, where there's a standoff with police. 
and just go live to Houston, Texas, where there's an actual standoff with police. Now, CNN will go to Houston, Texas with the standoff with police, but they'll talk about it all freaking day. It will be 24-7. And politicized. Right, and they will politicize it, and how is it Donald Trump's fault? It, I don't want that. I want, give me the 10 minutes of what's going on, and then we're going to go to Oregon, where there's some guy who chained himself to a tree because he doesn't want people to cut trees, to whatever the story is. Then go to Chicago because some, some guy got shot and talk about that. And then go to Miami, Florida and talk about a riot that happened. There's no reason why, with all the things that go on in our country, the cable news should be talking about one story all day. The one story all I, day. The I, Nunes memo all day. Yesterday it was the parade all day. And I know why they do it, because they're fucking lazy. They're well, lazy I journalists who don't want to do their job. I also think wanna, they want to create a kind of a daytime drama. You know how daytime dramas always were, were king of the afternoons? Mm -hmm. They want to create that with these stories. Right. And but so that people will continue to watch and get addicted to right. it. Right. But there's, but, but there's another channel for that. It's four, five, and seven. Well, they, have, they have soap operas I for that. I think they'd rather have ratings than, well, than do news. Well, then don't call it news. Don't call mm. it the cable news network. Call it the cable entertainment network, and then I'm fine. Mm. See, at least MSNBC says, we hate Trump. Mm. We're not news. <laughs> We're here to hurt Trump. We're Actually, here to hurt I've, Republicans. I've never heard them say that. They, but they, and they have. Right, right. I give them credit. Okay. They don't portray themselves as being objective news. Okay. CNN does. And if you're going to portray yourself as objective news, well, you damn well better be objective. Because when I watch that idiot Acosta standing there interviewing uh, um, anybody in the Trump administration, mm. and they start with, well, Donald Trump said this yesterday, and that's a lie. I'm sorry. That's not your job. Mm -hmm. Your job is to not declare something a lie. Your job is to tell us what he said, then interview mm. something. Somebody else that says he's a lie, mm. a liar, and then let the audience decide for themselves if he's a liar or he's not a liar. But what they do now is they tell you what to think. Yes. They tell you what to think before they give you the news story. Then mm. they skew the news story so that it will comport with what they told you to think. Do That's you, not news. Would you say that Hannity does the same thing yes, on the, on the other hate, side? Yes. I hate all Hannity. Right. I hate Fox News. Well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say all of Fox News yeah, does that. There's two shows on Fox News yeah. that are good. Tucker Carlson Tucker, is, the, Tucker the, most, is very good. the most brilliant man on television. Yeah. And the five, which has the second most brilliant yeah, man on television, fun. Greg Gutfeld. <laughs> yes. So you, you got, you got two, two shows on Fox that yeah. are good. By the way, Fox and Friends in the Morning is the worst show on television. By far. I would rather watch I seen that in a long time. Romper Room on Disney. Ooh, Romper Room. Do you remember that? I do remember Romper Room. I would rather watch, like, you know, iCarly on Disney or mm. a test pattern on Channel 3. We don't have test patterns anymore. I'm showing my age. Mm. Then watching Sean Hannity. I, w I mean, I, I, do, you remember, do you remember Captain Kangaroo? Just I do. I do, right. yes. And I'd rather watch Captain Kangaroo than yeah. Sean Hannity. Right. I don't want news people cheerleading for the president, even if it's a president right. I'm cheerleading for, too. Right. I love Donald Trump. I don't, I don't disagree with 90% of what he does. But when I tune into the Fox News Network, hmm. I want news. I don't want Donald Trump's great, Donald Trump's great, the, the seditious media, the anti-Trump media. I don't want any hmm. of that. I want news. I think news. He's, he sees that as his role. Of, yeah. of uh, the, you got the whole mainstream media being anti-Trump, and, and I am the guy who is going to tell the truth about all of this stuff. Right. And it gets the best of him. Um, that's that's he's, 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 he's uh, he, Got a career out of it. If you've seen one Sean Hannity show, yeah. you've seen every Sean yeah, Hannity I mean, show. I, if you've seen one Don Lemon show on CNN or one Anderson Cooper show, he's even worse yeah. on CNN, you've seen every show. It's Trump's no. a racist, Trump's a racist, Nazi, 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 Nazi all day. All day. Donald Trump used his salad fork today. Is that presidential? Is that appropriate? Here for a two-hour panel discussion is Don Lemon. <laughs> Who starts you know off with Nazis? I mean, come on. 
I actually, even though she is a little bit like, um, like Hannity, I like Laura Ingram. She's not too much like that. She's, somewhere in, the, she's somewhere in between uh, Tucker and, uh, and Hannity. And I, I liked Laura Ingram on radio. I don't think she's she works a great on, radio. I don't person. think she works on television. She looks, works better on radio, no yeah. question. Yeah, no question about that. All right, anything else for us, Paul? We're going to bring Mike Demers up here. We got uh, we can't get his video in. We tried to get his video in, but um, we're not going to be able to. I think we I think we pretty much hit everything. I know there's a couple of other big topics I wanted to talk about, but we're kind of running out of time. At some point, Paul, I want to have a a long discussion with you about not all. About not all. Not all. Not all of I'm what? A, I'm actually going to write a column about not all. Not oh, I know what you mean right now. Right. right. So any when you make a generalization, when you make yes. any generalization, if you say you know, um, women are more sensitive than men. Not right. all. Not all. There's one brainwashed person who went to a public school listening, who's going to go, not all. Not all of not them. Not all of them. As yeah. if, as if, like we need in every discussion to point out there's an exception to every rule. People every discussion. That's not true because I know one guy down the street who didn't do that. So that means what you said is wrong. No, really, exceptions do not negate the rule. Sorry. I think we have lost appreciation for the art of the generality. Yes. The generality is is so. Imp- in fact, it makes us human. Sure. Other animals don't generalize because they can't. They just see. Uh, individual objects in front of their five senses. We are able to generalize about things and understand them. And, uh, and, and obviously, when you say all women are, 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 women are more sensitive than men, you're, you're not saying, you know, obviously, you're not saying all of them are. Right, but someone you're, has you're to stop the discussion. In general. Right. See, liberals are trained to be brainwashers and brainwashed. And they want to stop the discussion because they don't like where you're going. And that's, mm. where, that's when you hear the not all. Not all is a weapon. Not all is used as a, as a, as a language weapon to stop the discussion and steer it in a different direction and say, well, not all it, women, because I know a guy right. who stays home and he's a Mr. Mom and he's great. So what you're saying must be wrong. Because the they don't want where you're going. You don't, they don't want you to end where you're going with that discussion. They don't want you to elucidate any uh, differences between the sexes. Mm-hmm. They want an, an androgynous society. Right. So now I said earlier with Jeff, mm. Jeff Riley, I'm positive I'm going to get hate mail. Please don't send me hate mail about what I said to Jeff Riley, I'm just, I'm not even going to read them when I said I'm anti-teacher. Hmm. Now, I guarantee you there's some fucking moron out there who's going to write me an email saying you hate all teachers. When Donald Trump said that Mexico is sending us not their best, they're sending rapists, they're sending drug dealers, the liberals who were brainwashed, the people who are weak-minded, heard the word all even though it wasn't hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Because public schools and colleges train kids brainwash kids, condition kids, to hear words that aren't there in order to justify their anger about whatever it is that they want them to be angry about. So if, if, if I were to say that, you know, I support the cops. The cops do a great job. Some asshole is going to say, oh, no, no, that's not true because look what happened yeah. in this place. So look at that guy, yeah, that cop that shot someone. No, they'll say you support all the cops, even right. the bad ones. But you'll notice it doesn't work the other mm. way around. When liberals mm. say... Well, wait a minute. Uh, these dreamers come here, and they, 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 they love America. They were brought here through no fault of their own, and they're, mm. and, and they're contributing to the community, and they're, they're working hard. You know, so you know what I do? I go, all of them? All, you, are you saying all illegal immigrants that are here are picking lettuce? All of them are here doing a good job? All of them are here because they want a better life for their family? Because we know that's not true. We know there's an awful lot of illegal aliens who come here who join gangs and kill people and sell drugs and manufacture fentanyl and rape and drunk drive and beat their wives. So you'll notice that when a conservative talks, he gets attacked with the weapon of not all to destroy whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. 
But then liberals label and stereotype Catholics and Christians and white people and police officers, and you're not allowed to call them out on that. So whenever I'm talking to liberals, I always use label. I always talk to them like I'm a liberal and I care about not all and I care about labeling and stereotyping. And then I throw it back at them. So when they start saying that, you know, the cops are all the cops are jackbooted thugs and and we can't trust them and they gun down black people. I say, all, all police officers, really all They say, oh, well, you know, the priests, they're molesting kids, all of them, all, all the you, are you saying all because now all of a sudden when you do it to them. Hopefully, it will, it will kick something into their head where they realize, wait a minute, I'm wrong here about something. I may, they may not even know what it is, but they know they're wrong about something. They're going to have to square that in their head. You would hope so. I would hope, anyways. Anything else, Paul? Uh, at this moment, I would say no. All right. Let's bring up even, our guest. I haven't even yelled at him yet today. It's kind of, kind of bizarre. All right, let's take a very quick break, one-minute break. We're going to come back with Mike Demers. We're going to talk about the Hafner situation. Acadia Insurance is suing this guy to make him take down posts on Facebook and Twitter. It's a First Amendment case. We're going to be following it very, very carefully. He's going to come up and he's going to give us the short version. I want to emphasize the short version. Because mm. Mike is, I've known Mike since high school and he can talk. You think I can talk? Yeah. Mike can talk. He can talk more than you? That's yes. Impossible. Yes. Wow. Back after this, I'm paying attention. Wow.
And now let's get back to Paying Attention. And once again, here's your host, the Tom Duggan. Settle down. Settle down. You get a the? I get a what? A the. The Tom Duggan, yes. I didn't realize that. Yep, there's only one. Did you get much bigger since the last time I saw you? I did. Well, I haven't seen you in a while. So, you know, once once we left radio, Paul doesn't really, Paul's not really good at communicating with people. Like, he didn't ever call me and say, hey, let's go for coffee or, hey, I'm I'm in North Andover. I'll come by your office and say hello. Oh, how many calls did I get from you? I don't know. Okay, I'll have, I'll just call you the Tom Duggan from now on. Uh, but I'm Tom Duggan, though. You're supposed to be calling me. Oh, you, because you're the... I don't want to sound like Uncle Frankie, but... The Tom Duggan, yes. Right, indeed. Right, right, right. So we have uh, uh, a guest here with us today. We, we had him on the show a couple weeks ago. We're going to have him on again, too. Um, uh, Mike Demers and his mom had a fuel delivery from Hafner's Oil at their home in Salem, New Hampshire. <coughs> and... Hafner's overfilled their tank by about 250 gallons. Is that right? I get yeah, the, I'm always wrong with my numbers, so I got to check. And the, wa- and, the, and the oil went everywhere. It seeped into the ground. It got into the foundation. It got outside. It got into everything. It got into the walls. It got into the sheetrock. It got into the studs. It got into everything. And according to Mike, the insurance company for Hafner's Oil, Acadia Insurance, came in and promised them they were going to make it right. That they were going to put them back to where they were before this happened. And they didn't. They put him and his family up in a hotel, they, uh, or a motel. They sent some environmental people down there to try and clean it up. They cleaned up some stuff, but they didn't, uh, they didn't do an adequate job to the Demers family's satisfaction. So the Demers family took them to court, and because Acadia has multi-billion dollar lawyers and law firms, and, um, and Mr. Demers and his family don't, they ended up losing that case. So... What Mike decided to do was go on a public relations tour, so to speak, and started a boycott of Hafner's and Acadia Insurance online, on Facebook, on Twitter, probably a couple of other things. And he started going after the people that promised his mom that they would make it right, the agent from Acadia that promised his mom that they would make it right. He started uh, going after some of the people that uh, were part of the environmental groups that promised they were going to make it right, the environmental cleanup groups. And Acadia has filed a lawsuit against Mr. Demers for libel and slander to try and get him to take down all of his stuff online. Now, what he's saying online, I'm looking at it right now, what he's basically saying online is we might have lost our court case. Legally, there's nothing we can do. But morally, these people promised my mother they were going to make it right, and I think they ought to make it right. And until they make it right, we should boycott Hafner's. We should boycott Acadia. Now, without even talking about whether I agree or disagree with any of that, we have a First Amendment in this country. And the First Amendment is under attack every day in our courts. And this is one of those cases where our First Amendment is under attack. Because if this multi-million dollar company can shut Mike Demers up and get him to stop putting what he's putting on Facebook and Twitter, what does that say for the rest of us? I mean, if I have a plumber that comes to my house and he screws something up and I sue him, and he's got a better lawyer than me, or maybe he, he, for some reason, just gets a good judge and he wins, I should still have the free speech right to say this guy screwed up. I should still have the free speech right to say, hey, look, maybe he won in court, but maybe he should just be a friggin' human being and come to my house and fix it and do what he was supposed to do. As Americans, we still have that right. And I check the papers every morning because you know, there's a lot of people in this country trying to take our freedom away. But as of this morning, we still have free speech. We still have a First Amendment. Mike, can you talk a little bit more about, about your case 
you know, Reader's Digest version. Yeah. Um, and where you are now, you're going to be in court. Your, your trial starts on Wednesday next week in Hillsborough. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday in Hillsborough yeah. County Superior, Superior Court? Superior Court, yeah, correct. Uh, I, we just had a pre-trial meeting uh, last week where now we're going to get together our witnesses. Uh, I'm going to call my mother in. And my stepdad. Um, are, are, you, are you being represented by anybody? No. I gotta, so, <laughs> so you're gonna. So look at this. So I'm gonna do the best I can. I've been doing a little bit of studying there, doing my uh, legal boot camp training there in yeah. uh, the last several months, actually over a year or so. It's just, there's a lot involved with um, introducing evidence, introducing. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta learn that stuff. They so got you got a multi-million dollar company. rules and stuff. You gotta follow, and if you, evidence mm. don't get in, you know, if you don't present it right, and I gotta learn. I've been trying to put it all together, get a grasp on. But you're representing yourself pro se, so you should have a little bit more latitude from the judge, hopefully, they've and been, usually they've they do. They've been very fair with me. Yeah. They've been very fair with me. Um, but like I said, uh, we just got to go over all our exhibits and our witnesses. I'm going to try and bring in, um, see, one of their statements I don't know if they're complaining about is, um, I say on my website that the company spent nearly a million dollars between cleaning up the home and going, taking my mother to court. I say those words on my website. And they're saying that I can't say that, but the facts are they spent over 400000 and they spent X amount, a large amount, back to my homeowner's insurance, and then they had X amount that re they, f they spent on the court case fighting it. Now, I have a reliable source. Um, actually, the Hafner's scene representative was on this spill, and he was at the court case. I bumped into him at a coffee shop one day. We talked, and he told me, you know, Mike, between me and you, they spent about $946,000. This is what I saw. So when I say on my website they spent almost a million, I'm not trying to make this up. Right. This is reality of what happened. Right. But there's another serious issue with one of the, one of the things that happened early on Three weeks into the oil spill, the environmental co contractors, Empro and Ambrose, hired by uh, Katia to take on the cleanup, tried to move us in the home. And there was a serious issue because a couple weeks into it, my mom and I were getting really, really, really sick. From the fumes. From, from the stuff, right? And they were trying to move us in with 50 tons of documented. And the end report says there was 52 tons on the property. At that time, there was 50 tons documented on the property. And we got really sick. And... And, and we contacted the insurance agent and we said, and the environmental guys, we were telling them about it. This is reality of what happened. And, and we were trying to get uh, reimbursed for our furniture and our tiles at the time, a month after the spill. And, we, and he, the insurance agent told us, you guys went to the hospital. It's not related. We will not be paying any more of your bills until the end of the claim. Okay. So, uh, what did he use? What was his evidence that it wasn't spill-related? Um, he didn't. Or you didn't break your leg, like in your car, no, no, three he, days later. He was. It was reported to the his environmental contractors and in him. At the same time, we were trying to get reimbursed for our tiles and our furniture, and I was sending him faxes and stuff and emails. And he found out, and he said uh, he, they were initially paying for it, and then all of a sudden. Fact is, they stopped paying for those hotel bills, and my mother was devastated. So we had a meeting at the DES. I just found the audio tape. I recorded. What's DES? New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services. Okay. I had because uh, we complained that they shut us off, and we're not getting. My mother's on uh, credit card, and she's devastated, scared to death over her words. She says on this audio tape, we met with six in, um, six uh, agents from the uh, oil remediation. Uh, 
Oil Remediation and Compliance Bureau, and that's the tape I sent you. And it, on that tape, it discusses how there's an issue with the odors, we're getting sick, we complained, and, and we had an expert come in at the same time period and elevated levels off the charts on, on the air in the, in the building. In the why, didn't they just, why didn't they just take all the money that they're spending suing you and cleaning it and just build you guys a new house. Like, it would have made it so much easier for them. Tommy D, uh, this is all we wanted, man. That's all we wanted. We just wanted our house back. And, and so after that, the DES said they would, you know, try to do some more investigating. And uh, we talk all about this actual about us getting sick and getting shut off by the insurance company with on these tapes and what happened was is that you know um they said we'd pay in the end this is not related the pay at the end so they're claiming that's a defamatory statement and and i gotta i gotta say that they're denying this i'm not that's it's he said she said i guess right right and but three people that were told this my mother and my stepdad were told and then when we all called them back he said that's not related we're not paying for nothing to the end and you know what happened the cleanup landed up dragging on for 14 months allowing it to go into a wetland into the groundwater and the wetland and worsening the whole condition so so where so where are all the left-wing global warming alarmists who run around in all these groups all these environmental groups that are supposed to care about the planet where are they i mean have any uh, of them come forward and said you got you got oil leaking into water systems and into well, water tables and all this other stuff? Well, at the time, I called everybody. I called the EPA. I called the commissioner of the DES. And what uh, only time I got some uh, satisfaction, I wrote to Congressman Hodes. I wrote to uh, Senator Judge Gregg. And when I wrote him, and this is 10 months in, deep into the spill, then they found the mother load. They had more environmental trucks on the property over a year after this oil spill than they did the day of the oil spill. Wow. And what happened was we get back to the conversation where they were going to pay and they shut us off um, and said they pay at the end. They told three people this. They deny this. Okay. And that's fine. Do I have the right uh, freedom of speech to tell what happened and, right. and, and tell this story? So what happened is the 14 month cleanup was done. We heard nothing from Acadia. Okay. And all of a sudden we we had to basically we had to file a lawsuit so three years went by okay now we're at the five-year level out of our home in a trailer in front of our home right my mom and my stepdad and you know what i mean mm -hmm. and and what happened is uh, my opinion they waited us out over here so we take them to court and and this is reality this is what happened right and i have the right to say it and they don't want there's a lot of a lot of things when you, the devil's in the details you know what i'm saying i get 16 hours of video record that i record of these environmental guys as this cleanup was going on okay so i don't ha i i was there i have first-hand knowledge of everything between everybody i called like i said I, the only time i got satisfaction when i called the senator up he wrote me a letter back and said and then all of a we sudden you know we've got a friend in the governor's office that were in new hampshire that works yeah. on environmental stuff i learned that last week so i'll pass his yeah. name on to well, you well i i did i did land up after we lost the case we had a two-year struggle to get back in the home because my mother was bankrupt and my stepdad was bankrupt after now, this. Now, where were you staying during this two years? Uh, we were, originally, we were staying at the hotel they told us to go to, and um, the, the funds were depleted, and we kept, we kept being told the cleanup was done. We have an expert come in five times. Air quality management came in five times on behalf of us through our own insurance company, MMG, at the time. And every time they came in, they found more things wrong with the property. So, and 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, th so the, the cleanup should have been done in three months, was 14 months. So what happened is there was no response from Acadia or anybody after that, but initially they were paying and they abruptly stopped. So, I mean, those are facts. I mean, you know what I mean? So what he said, she said, yeah, I, we never promised to pay in the end is, is, right. is something that, you know, uh, you know, it's up to the American people to believe. I had, I, I had a problem with Travelocity. Yeah. Right? So I went on vacation. I called before I went on vacation, and I called them, and I said, I want a hotel room. I have a bad back. I need, I need a, a hotel room with a hot tub in the room. Yeah. I'm going to be gone for two days, and I need a hotel with a hot tub in the room. Yeah. So lady, you spend a half an hour on the phone with the girl Travelocity. <clears throat> she finally finds me a hotel. I get down to the hotel a few weeks later. There's no hot tub in the room. I call Travelocity. Yeah. It's a real short story. So the person on the phone says, yeah, well, I'm sorry. This we don't have it written down here that you said you wanted a hotel, you wanted a hot tub in the room. I said, wait a minute. You people record these conversations. Go back and find the recording. I told her I wanted a hot tub right. in the room. We had an extensive discussion. The most they would do is take like $20 off my bill. I'm like, no, no, no. What you need to do is you need to either refund, you. Either refund <laughs> me. The night. Right, comp me the night or the weekend or find me another hotel that's somewhere near here that's got a, that's got a hot tub in the room. Yeah. They refused. Jeez. So I started a campaign on Twitter yeah. called The Sleeping Gnome. Oh, and I started attack <laughs> and I started attacking Travelocity. Well, within five minutes, you get a I, got a, and I, got a, I got a direct <laughs> message from the I think it was like the corporate vice president of Travelocity, yeah. saying, "Oh, listen, I just saw your thing on Twitter. Uh, why don't you follow this was. link? Why don't you follow this link?" He sent me a link. Something fell. I looked and, like uh, it. I don't that's know. all right. We're live. Um, he, so he sent me this link and said, "You know, if you fill out this and it's a complaint form and maybe we can help you." I'm like, "Why am I going to jump through 20 more hoops to maybe get a $20 discount off after what you got?" Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in getting anything back now. Yeah. I just want everyone to know how friggin' incompetent you people are and how you, make, that, how you, you make know? promises. Well, I'll tell you what. If Mike Demers loses this case, yeah. people like us won't be able to do that. I had a problem with Walgreens. We talked about it on this show a couple weeks ago. They didn't want to send yeah. me my medication. They screwed up, and they wouldn't send me my medication until they figured out what they did wrong. Yeah. So I came on the show, and I talked about they it. They don't want the bad publicity. They don't want the yeah. big corporations yeah. are going to use your case as a yeah. test case to stop people from bad-mouthing their product or their service or their company. Yeah. And that's why, whether you're right or you're wrong about what you're saying about Acadia, yeah. you have the right to say it. Exactly. Exactly. But the, the, you Pong. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm just interested as to where the law is. I know, I know there are anti-slander laws. Right. Uh, and, of course, we have free speech. So, so where is the line? Do we know? Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 in settled law. I mean, I, mm. I can't I can't slander someone and say something that I know not to be true that's then mm. going to cause them damage. Yeah. But if you believe it to be true, even if say hypothetically it's false. Yes. Uh, they can't cease and desist you from no. from speaking. No. No. Okay. No, it's I mean, it's going to be if, like it, it, um, if you if it's malicious. Yeah. If you know it not to see, the, the, I've been sued for mm. slander six times. Okay. Yeah. I've won all six. Nice. There's a, there's, a f there's a four-pronged thing that they have to prove. I don't know if New Hampshire is different, but in Mass, there's four things. You have to prove that what the person said wasn't true. Okay. Then you have to prove they knew it wasn't true or should have known it wasn't true. Yes. They should have done their research. They should have yeah. known it was true. Then you have to prove that it was malicious. Mm -hmm. So you can say something that's not true, mm -hmm. and you can say something you know it's not true, but if you're not being malicious, if you're not trying to cost them money, if you're not trying to destroy their reputation, yeah. if you think the guy's a good guy, he's just an idiot... They're not going to win on that. And then they've got to prove financial damages. Yeah. Now, I can't see how they can prove that they have any well, financial damages from what you said on... Let me get jump in on Unless this. Unless maybe I'm wrong. Now he's going to tell let, me, let me No, let me jump, jump in on this. Is there, what there, when you sue for libel slander, there's two different... 
sort of methods, you might want to call it. There's one day where they could try to get a judge to enjoin you, right? Mm -hmm. Censor you, you know what I mean, and make you stop. Right. And then there's money damages. So it's equity or it's uh, money, uh, sue for money damages. But I mean, from what I've read, and you know, I'm not an expert, but uh, you know, the certain uh, inj injunctions are against the First Amendment. In, in a sense, unless it's unless it's uh, like you said, there's three categories. There's like uh, uh, given locations of troops during war, causing civil unrest or obscenity. Okay, mm. and uh, th those are the ones I found out. I mean, like I said, I'm not a lawyer, but I mean I've been reading about, up about it. And what they're trying to do is get me with, and I don't want to pay me, for, uh, sue me for damages, because if they sued me on um, civilly for the, for money damages, then they'd have to prove. I think damages. Mm. I think right. I, I'm not. I'm not certain. You know what I mean. But I think that's the way it goes. What they're trying is prior restraint. They're trying. Yes, to, exactly. They're trying to stop you Thank from you. saying other a things. And that's against the First Amendment. I absolutely. I believe. I, believe. I, I think you're correct. And um, the judge will decide that. Uh, I just want to clear one thing up, though. Uh, when I created the website, you know what I mean. Once we lost the court case here, um, what happened was we were dev devastated. We we're still living in a trailer in front of the home. I had to go before the town zoning board for two years. My mother and stepdad were filing for bankruptcy. How are we going to fix our home with nothing? You right, know what I mean? So right. we had to save, and it took us two years to struggle so I can gut that basement out. I remember when I came on the show, we were doing a home makeover. So the main idea of starting the show was, was I was doing a fundraiser. I mean, the website. That's how I created it, and I wanted to tell the world the story right. of what happened. I documented every conversation with the environmental people, the state of New Hampshire, and the insurance people. Every conversation. Then I filmed like 70% of it. I started for us writing, I got tired of writing, so I wanted to film it so I'd have an accurate record of what was going on here at the Demers residence. And uh, so I started a fundraiser. We had to go before the town's own board for a year and a half, two years. We finally got the basement. I gutted it myself and got a 40-yard container and, and, and gutted it. And then we had to put a, a vent in there. And it was recommended that by the New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services that one be put in. And I had to just seal off the basement. So right as it stands now, my mother can't go down in a basement other to wash her clothes. The place still reeks down there. Hmm. And um, I, had, I had an interview when we moved back in. The woman who did the interview smelled the oil. This is, you can still smell the oil to this day, okay? And it's wow, not five fair. Years later. No, it's 11, uh, 11 years. years later. Okay? 11 years later. And, wow. and it's, it's just, all we wanted was a house back in the same position. That's all we ever wanted. It's That's in the amazing. tapes. It's on the audio. Uh, and I'm trying to get this meeting that, that the defamatory statement they accused me of that, that was said to us, and, and it, which they deny. So I want to make sure that it said that. You know what I mean? I'm not claiming anything. You know what I mean? I got to mm. go to court now. And I don't want to, you know, uh, say anything that's not true or that they deny. The bottom line is, you know, she was out of a house for seven years. It's a, my mother, you know what I mean? I don't understand yeah. why they can't clean Why man. can't they clean that up in a week? I don't understand No, it, it should have taken about two to three months, an average spill takes, when you're actively involved in it. This went into a wetland. I, the state's involved. I want to tell this story because it should never happen to anybody else in this, you know what I mean? And, and what, happens anybody. The what happens the next time Hafner's overfills somebody's water or, or somebody's oil tank? Well, That's what I'm concerned they, about. They, they, may, they may reconsider about doing the right thing right away this time, you know what I mean? 
if anything happens. Not if you future, lose. You know? No. Not well, if you lose. Yeah. If you lose, then it doesn't matter, right? They can, well, they can go out and they can do whatever they want. They can screw people over. Well, they can overfill the tanks. <coughs> they, can have their ins- they can hide behind their insurance company. Tommy, the bottom line is I don't have to lie about anything. It was reality what happened, and I'm entitled to my opinion. Right. Okay? There's another issue is with the boycott. So I started it to, as a fundraiser at first. Then I started to tell her story. I had already boycotted half of this before the trial. Then I decided now we're back in the house, and I'm, I'm telling the story. I'm going to boycott every one of them. I'm going to put the story out so the American people will read and view and decide. And uh, you know what I mean? Yep. In, 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 in a marketplace of ideas, you know what I mean? They can come to their own decision. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's fair. You know what I mean? And they could deny what we say. Then, then that's fine. You know, they have the opinion. To, they have the right to deny it. I'm not trying to say anything legally. We know we lost the case, like you said. Yeah, Mike, Mike's, Mike's contention know? online is not that he's making a legal claim. No. His contention online is I want to tell we lost legally, but we still think morally, he still thinks morally, the Acadia Insurance Company should make his mom's house right. Yep. And I don't see how anybody can sue you for that. I'm going to try and be there yep. uh, on, you said, uh, the 13th, 13th right? 13th and the 14th. Um, and I, I know I have to call the court, and i got to get all that appro- press yeah, approval Yeah, you got to get on stuff. the horn because... Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll probably try and do that today. today yeah. uh, we are out of time. Yeah, I appreciate no, I you coming it. up. Um, just give people the, the, the time frame. You're going to be in, starting in court on Tuesday. And how long yeah. do you expect this to last? Uh, it could be a couple days. It was scheduled for a couple days. I'm trying to, like I said, I'm not a lawyer. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to, you know, introduce. It's just, it's complicated. You, you're not a lawyer. You don't, no if you question. don't introduce stuff right, I, I'm, right no now question. I'm going to be up to 5 in the morning. Mm. I'm going to go meet their attorneys uh, tomorrow and go over our exhibits and our I don't understand why they haven't settled this case with you and just said, look, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. We'll give you 10 grand. Take everything down offline. And that's the way to shut them up. Right. Yeah. We'll give you this money. Have they, least, don't say have they offered anymore. you anything? Have they tried no, to settle no, out of court? No, 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 So they're just really no. trying to shut you up. They don't really care about Well, they don't like else. my boycott posters. They're, they're parodies. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about that real quick. Yeah. I mean, but a parody... Uh, you got you, one minute, yeah, literally. Yeah, I get some parody posters, and uh, they're boycott posters. They're not to be taken literally, like, as an... Off- they're trying to claim they're highly offensive. Um, I don't know. You've seen them, Tommy. Yeah. You, 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 you think any of my I posters find, I find I find some of them highly offensive. Yeah, you do? <laughs> I do. But yeah. you know what? That's what the First Amendment is for. The First yeah. Amendment is not to protect speech that's not offensive. Yeah. The First Amendment is to protect speech that is offensive. Yeah. Well, because we, offense is... A, it, <coughs> it's subjective. Yeah. What you find offensive, I might find it's funny. It's a creative work. I mean, it's a, that's what I consider. I, right. I, I don't find it... I don't find what I did uh, offensive and, 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 and worth being sued over. You know what I mean? Paul, and, less than a minute. You got any thoughts? Uh, no, good. Good luck. I, I hope things work out for your mother. Yeah. Is she um, is she okay now? She's seventy three. Right. She got to go yeah. to work every day. You, yeah, you know, she right. has not. Yeah. She's been out of. A, she's been eleven years. My mother that's hasn't right. had a break. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know. Thank but, you, uh, Stu. It's too bad. Awesome seeing you though again. Hey, you too. You too. He's and, on the radio uh, we'll, show. We'll, 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 All right, yeah, sit down, yeah. sit down for oh, while oh, we wrap oh, up. All yeah, right, thank you everybody wrap. for watching and paying attention. Television podcast. Paul Morano, my co-host, Stu Fink, who sits uh, behind me as our uh, fine, fine producer. Rich Russell, our photographer, who's here. Twin Lights Security, who's here uh, guarding us today. We're glad to see all those guys here with all their guns. That's always awesome. Our charity bash, the Valley Patriot Charity Bash, March 24th on at the uh, Firefighters Relief Inn in Lawrence. Doors open at 5. Uh, food starts at 6. We give out awards to police officers, firefighters, veterans. We give scholarships to kids. The Valley Patriot is, is on the street. 24th or 23rd? 
Uh, the 23rd. Yeah. Did I say the 24th? You said the 24th. I'm sorry, March 23rd, Friday. The Valley Patriot is on the streets. Please pick it up. We appreciate that. Heroes in our midst on Amazon. And I want to give a free plug to uh, some people that are doing some great work in media. Not many of them out there. The Methuen Loop. This is a great product. If you live in Methuen, you should pick it up. There's a lot of great stuff in here. Mar uh, Mike, Paul, thank you for coming. Thanks, Jeff Riley, the superintendent receiver in Lawrence, commissioner of education. Uh, anybody else? Uh, 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 Dave Garofalo from uh, Two Guys Smoke Shop. We get everybody, Mr. Jonathan. And we missed Sean the Barista. We'll have him on next week. Thanks so much for watching. See you next Thursday. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.